0: Mank, 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 I'm Gary Oldman, my name's Mank, Amanda Seyfried, she says nerds, my leg is shot, I drink a lot Orson wants me To crack the plot Manking the bank This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What we bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the podcasts. And don't let anybody tell you different. That, that line is the crux of the movie. Yeah. Louis Mayer. Mm-hmm. Still true today, yep. Griffin. Yeah. You ever think about that? Yeah. It's what they went on strike about. Can I? I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to come in with the hot takes right off the bat. Orles Howard kind of underrated chameleon. Sure. In that, it's not like he transforms himself radically, but every time he shows up in a movie, it takes me a moment to notice he's Arliss Howard. Arliss Howard giving full Balaban in this. He has a bit of a, hear me out on this, willy-wooly. You love to talk about willy-wooly. The thing with the magnet pen. I know what you're talking about. Where it's like he's got kind of like a good blank slate look. Where then anything you put on him it makes him look very different, even if it's not like a huge uh, prosthetic schnoz or whatever. So he's very good in this.
1: Uh, he's great in this. Yeah. Um. I interviewed everyone involved with this movie. This partly why I'm teeing you up for this. Um. And uh. And Sean, do you have a Arliss Howard take? You can talk. Yeah. We're going sure. Straight no. Into no the I, I, I love
2: this. when the show starts and it's you guys, and then like 38 minutes go by and someone's like, uh. uh Hey, Hello. what's up, boys? I want to be
0: clear. We're not going to introduce you for a while, but you can start talking. Okay.
2: I just want to say that I love Arliss Howard, too, and I especially love his role as the demon in Natural Born Killers. You know, when there's cutaways to the
1: Call. Devil. Yeah. Um. So I interviewed everyone who worked on the crew, you know, all of Fincher's big collaborators for this movie, mm-hmm. including his casting director... Uh, who, I should look up her name, but she's a legendary casting director, Griffin. Do you know who it is? I'm trying to remember who it is. Um, and she, I was talking to her okay. about, you know, how does it work to cast a movie like this? And how does it work, you know, how do you work with Fincher? Mm-hmm. And then I brought up, like, I love, personally, just FYI, I love Arliss Howard. And she's like, David, I have had, like, a crush on Arliss Howard, basically, <laughs> since, like, the 90s. Wow. She cited this movie that he's in As like a romantic lead, I think. Now he's become, he's boss or he's villain or whatever. But he used to be, you know, I think uh, Men Don't Leave. Oh, sure. Yes. The the Paul Brickman movie with Jessica Lange. Yeah. Where she's just like, I saw him in Men Don't Leave and Arliss Howard has always been on top of my list since then. Wow. Yeah. And of course he's in The Killer.
0: Yes. both
1: of you have seen The Killer I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it,
0: Sean? Wow. That's kind of wild that neither of you have seen Because they only it. showed it in Venice. Yeah.
2: Every day what I send they? a solemn email, please show me the killer, please. And they say,
0: maybe. <laughs> I was saying to David yesterday, it is weird the degree to which it feels like Netflix is already treating that movie as an afterthought. I would agree. And like in this weird nether realm where they're like, it's not really an Oscar movie and it's not really a popcorn movie. Do you, think, you know? do you think
2: that's because of this movie? And what this movie I, turned out to be to the world? I
0: don't know. Because I do think... I think this movie ended up having basically as... I think it it benefited from coming out in the weird non-Oscar year. I think so too. As much as it maybe hasn't lingered. But I then think it like also kind of didn't. Within its year, it landed about as hard as it ever could have landed. Do
2: you think that worked against it in the... the it's reputation in, now, though. Like the yes. fact that it got it a its bunch legacy. of Oscar nominations yes. and then people watch it and they're like, this fucking movie? What's this bullshit? But
0: here's the thing I want to talk about a lot and in this episode. And to be clear, this movie is good. Yes? What 2020 Oscar movies have not fallen into that trap? Well, now I just need to pull um, up the year. I'm going to say, here's my, I'm going to give a
1: verdict on the Best Picture nominees. Sure. Land certainly fell into that trap, I think. Absolutely. Um, Mank. Judas and the Black Messiah, yeah. promising young woman, and the, the the king of this category, Trial of the Chicago Seven. Yes. yes, I think the father and Sound of Metal are doing fine. I think those are both regarded yeah. as like well acted dramas that were like you know stayed in their lanes. The father, the father is hurt by him making the son. But that's yes. not hurt by the pandemic.
0: But the I, father also kind of benefits from the fact that no one had seen it when it won the Oscars. Right. It doesn't really come out until twenty twenty one when things are starting to reopen a bit. Right. right. What were you going to say, Sean? Well, the father Who still hasn't been. Two things.
2: This? One, I'm the, like I'm a, I'm alone on I hate the father island. I really don't like that movie at all. And I felt mm. like when the son came out, I was like, you see, this is what yeah. this man does. Yeah. But also, the, I, I think mean, that that's, I really
1: like the father, but I'm worried you're right. But yes, go ahead.
2: I think it's also marred by the you know. The ending that ceremony yeah, with, with what was supposed to be the Chadwick Boseman win and then Anthony yes. Hopkins won. He wasn't even at the ceremony. And then that left that movie in a little bit of a complicated reputational state too. I'm, I'm very pro-Judas in the Black side, though. I like that movie.
0: I am too, but like... I think that movie got really hurt by the pandemic. And I think that's a good movie. Yes, and that like kind of would have been a hit. I think it would have been a little bit of a crossover at the box office released under normal times. It is weird that I feel like most people forget or don't know that Daniel Kaluuya, someone that's basically accepted by everyone as one of the most exciting young stars, is an Oscar winner. Yeah, right. It's the LeBron Asterix, you know, championship as well. It's the same thing.
1: So this is it's my the pandemic Oscars. This forever. is my I
0: was like I was thinking on this. In the way that like in February 2021, it felt like such an embarrassing boondoggle to restructure the show around what seemed like the Chadwick win catharsis and then it ends up being this Anthony Hopkins twist. If the Oscar had gone to Chadwick, I think people also would kind of forget that had happened. Maybe. It would have been emotional in the moment, and I think it would have kind of been lost to the sands of time. Yeah. I think people would remember that a little bit. But that movie is also... They would definitely
1: remember it better than... Was it Joaquin? Joaquin gives it to Hopkins. But, like,
0: not. So just Joaquin standing on stage being like, uh,
1: all right... (laughs) i see. And
0: then you. the camera pans over to Questlove because the show had no host. And he's like, Well, that's been the Oscars.
3: <laughs> I
2: really and thought when they like announced click. Soderbergh, be, like being the producer of that, that it was one of the great strokes of genius that the academy's yeah. had. And, and I still love Soderbergh so much, but boy, he kind of biffed that one. It just didn't work.
1: I stand by those Oscars I being good. I oh. think
0: they're really good, except for the. The, the end was a mistake. I also think they were always going to be weird and he made them compellingly Glenn weird. Glenn Close did the butt. She remember did that? the butt. Do you remember, Sean, do you remember that Glenn Close did the butt? I do remember that. That wasn't, she, that, that was the wife. wife. That, was, that was fun. And then she did the butt.
1: And that was the year, that was the hillbilly elegy
0: year? Yes. Whew, we really have to stop thinking about 2020, but not this week. <laughs> this is revenge. the problem. <laughs> I, I will say I had a weird sensation uh, firing up this movie last night on Netflix. Mm. Uh, and. I I, what I experienced was closer to deja vu than rewatching a movie because like I was just remembering watching this movie previously in such a daze. Sure. You know, yeah, where it didn't feel like, well, I'm revisiting a film. It felt like, why do I feel like this has happened before? Right. It almost felt like an out of body experience because today we're talking about a 2020 film. I don't know how often 2020 movies are going to come up on this podcast As a weird lost year, this is what we're talking about. There were some 2020 releases we covered in 2020. Yeah. But it was a year that a lot of major filmmakers skipped. A lot of movies got held off for. Maybe we do Chloe Zhao someday? If we ever do Spike Lee, Five Bloods, which I think is the best film of that year.
2: Um, I'm looking at these Oscar nominations and I'm like, is there a single blank check director amongst this crew other than David Fincher?
1: I think we might do Charlie Kaufman one day, maybe. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I
2: love that movie. I don't. I, I think too. that movie is a little divisive too. That's a great movie. I love I that agree.
0: movie. But that what Five Bloods gets the score nomination. Yeah. So it got one, and Thinking of Ending Things got zero. Sad. Yeah. Uh, Green would, do... would you do Green News of the World. <sighs> Fuck! Talk about a movie. I forgot. You know what? That movie is not bad. I, I agree. Yeah. But truly, This yes. is the curse, though. Forgotten. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I like, my fond memories of 2020 movies are almost exclusively the couple of things that came out in the first 10 weeks. Right.
1: I mean, Tenant. Yeah.
0: Well, we love the Tenet. tenet. That happened. yes. That happened. And yes. we'll re it someday, probably. Maybe we should re it. re Yeah. Do another Tenant. Why not? The ten- <laughs> okay. I don't even know what to say about that. Listen, this is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. And David... And if you play this episode backwards, you'll find that we were friends all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby, mm-hmm. this is a mini series on the films of David Fincher. It is called The Curious Pod of Benjamin Buttcast. Correct. Today we are talking about not his biggest check, but maybe in a certain way his blankest. And the one he was trying to cash for so long. Mm-hmm. And it is a movie about one of the greatest blank check situations of all time. Yes, sort of. Which is interesting. That's, that's true. That's, you're right. You're, the situation is blank checky. We've covered being. very few movies about blank checks. We covered blank check. Yes. Which is, in fact, about, a,
1: a, a, you know, a, a, blank, very, check a, a blank check. A very blank check. Yes.
0: No, you're right. You're right. It's about Citizen Kane, which was a blank check. Yeah. It was. It was RKO wrote him a blank check. And not only that, but people were like, this is unprecedented. What do you mean you're giving him complete creative control? Right. He has a green light for any subject he chooses. Right. Yeah. Um, the film Mank. We're talking Mank. Um, we're Mank in the Mank. One of three David
1: Fincher films <clears throat> that has been nominated for Best Picture, right? Yeah. Like, and his legacy is that his, two of his three Best Picture nominees people tend to put at the bottom of the list. Right. 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 Sean, would you agree? Not saying you agree is that,
0: personally. Is that a
1: Benjamin Button question? Yeah, Button.
0: Yeah. yeah. We yeah. like Button. Uh, we we so like you know. Button. We're very pro we did a very pro button episode.
2: I well, I haven't heard it yet. I look forward to hearing it. You know, I'm still not really sold on Button.
0: It's a weird movie. Well, I when's can't the last deny time that? you buttoned yeah. up, Sean?
2: I uh I've been unbuttoned for a minute. It's got it's it's yeah. been a long time.
1: And was it seven years? But it feels a lot longer.
2: <laughs>
1: I, you did like Long I, Island I Medium I there. Bad. I did bad. That was it like was Linda Richmond. <laughs> Do it. Go on. Go on, Griff. Seven,
0: but it feels a lot longer. <laughs> there you go. Um He's more like a like a like a bayou creature from Princess and the Frog. That's what he sounds like. Introduce our guest. Our guest today, of course. From the ringer, from the big picture. The great Sean Fantasy, returning to the show to Mank the Mank. Hi boys. One of America's preeminent mank defenders. This was my favorite movie
2: of 2020.
1: Um, yeah. Was it really Sean? It was. God, I don't remember that. Yeah. And
2: um having revisited it to spend some time with you guys, I I feel actually even better about it in many ways. Wow. Hell
1: yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm now I'm looking really excited at Your top to ten. Yeah. Like Sean, do you still have Nomad Land in your top ten?
2: I do, and I, I really believe in it. But um, where was Nomad? That Land? movie
1: suffered for me slightly on rewatch. I I do like
2: that movie. It, it did for me too. It, I have it at five. But I would have read. Yeah, I, I would redo this list if I could, honestly. But I mean, that's I, true. there's just I got a lot of personal stuff in Nomadland. You know, sometimes you get a movie mm. and you're like, you know what? There's a lot of personal stuff that I associate with that movie. and I'm just, it's gonna stay where it's gonna stay in my mind's eye.
0: That's my thing. I, I think I
1: really felt... Damn, uh, Sean, you watch a lot of shit. Jesus Christ. And I'm a professional film critic. What are you looking
2: at? The hell is some of this stuff? Oh, that I saw... Well, that year? I mean, that year you could watch every. It's a tough year. What else was it's I doing? It's a tough doing? year. This was also the last time I didn't have a kid. So that's that's the other yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And also, we were kind of inside a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were. Yes. We yeah. were all Bo burnaming out of control that year. Uh, Sean, you did on Big Picture, uh, you took like a little summer break... And uh, your feed was taken over with, uh, do we get to win this time? And there was the episode where you came back and you and Amanda were like doing a roundup mm-hmm. on things you had seen while the show was on hiatus. And I was like, oh, they'll cover like five movies. And you listed like 15 new releases <laughs> you had seen. <laughs> yeah,
1: You're supposed to be taking a vacation.
0: I, it have, was a I
1: have a disease.
0: You're putting up real
2: numbers. But if you guys are if you guys are mocking me about that, then I f- actually feel you. bad. I'm, I'm not mocking
1: you. I and saw and some I s- dog shit. I saw plenty of bad and stupid movies. And look, it looks like I watched 108 movies in 2020, new releases in
0: 2020. So yeah, I'm the right. same as you. I watched, yeah. you I think, 450 episodes of The Simpsons in 2020. I sure did. Uh, and tried to avoid movies because they depressed me. What were you going to say, Sean.
2: No, I, I just, um, I don't watch as many movies as I did at this time. Um, mm. and, uh, that being said, like, I don't do drugs. I do movies. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have addictions.
0: <sighs> Speaking my language. This.
2: this is my works. thing. So, you know, yeah. I, I feel good about it. I, I, don't, I don't have any regrets. I saw Saw X at 10 o'clock in the morning yesterday. I felt good about that. Yeah. Cool. Sean, yeah. Saw X, good. Yeah, I was not expecting the Jigsaw Empathy
1: game, but uh, we mm. got there. We got
0: the ultimate trap. They
1: they dared give Jigsaw a cute kid sidekick. (laughs) Ten movies in, fuck. He has a Mexican ten year old soccer playing sidekick in that movie, who he literally just kind of like does like gives a high five after subjecting you know people to traps and death and all that. The final shot
2: is hilarious. It's like a Malik movie. (laughs) They walk out into the 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 final shot
0: is hysterical. Does he let the kid ride the tricycle? (laughs) (laughs) He should.
1: This, he only brings out the tricycle halfway through because the whole thing with Saw X is he's there the whole time. Right. right. And they, when The he tricycle wheels, is sort of his. uh usually his middleman. It's his proxy. Right. Right. So when he wheels out the tricycle, you're like, wow, they just didn't realize. They didn't know how to do this. Yeah. So they just have him wheel it out at some yeah. point. It's not integ- integrated into the plot. They should have Jigsaw ride a huge tricycle. That'd be good. Yeah. Himself. Put the makeup on. Little suit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Saw X, good. I've seen Saw X twice, I, I saw that <laughs> What the hell? Was what do you think that, of that? Was that necessary? My friend really wanted to see it, and we, we binged all the saws together, like, before this one came out. But he couldn't make the press screening with me, and so I was like, don't worry, I'll see Saw X.
0: With you. This was, okay. by the way, coming, Sean, after we had to do a... Semi-serious reshuffling of mm-hmm. record schedule to allow Sims first crack at Saw X, yeah, so I could write about he it. He wanted the first screening possible. I compared him to like he had a bunch sort of records set. We had to move things around in such a complicated order, in in almost a Saw X chronological disfigurement.
2: But if anybody yeah. understands Griffin, it's you and I that that David's yes. little mission to watch all those movies again. You know that's normal stuff. That's okay. That's like that's what that's what cool movie guys do. That's that's who we are.
0: Super super normal uh yeah no people were like that's so weird they're gonna do saw on patreon that's so many films i'm like you don't think that david just does shit like this (laughs) saw is good
1: we'll never do it on patreon too many us watching those in this room we would actually go insane we'd lose
0: our mind um our studio look the 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 czech republic our offices they serve our needs very well but you spend too much time and they really do feel like a saw trap the walls
1: start to close the walls start to (laughs) close All right, Sean. So you loved Mink in 2020. I did. You've rewatched it for this podcast. I did. Had you rewatched it in between then and now? I watched it four times
2: in the Oscar season of wow. 2020 to 2021. Because I, okay. I, because I felt a little bit like I was going insane where all of my people, honestly, except for you, David, were like, mm-hmm. this isn't good. And... And I didn't understand that. And I felt like in many ways it was kind of a summation of the Fincher project, not necessarily from a genre perspective, but like how he sees the world. Mm
3: -hmm. And I got to the end of that. And I was
2: like, I'm really just, I really get this. It's imperfect. And there are things about it that I don't think work. And you can talk about those things, but, um, revisiting it. And especially like hearing some of his comments about the world in the last couple of years. Um, I really feel like this is a guy who feels stuck between two ideologies, the way that Mank feels stuck between two ways of seeing the world in the movie. And so it really, it feels like a f- very realistic summation of his dad's influence on him and him as a, as a as
0: an artist. Yeah, let's take another thing that I think has to be, like, talked about. I-, I think the thing that gives this movie a certain weight that it didn't have three years ago, or additional, a different weight. Go ahead. Fincher is, like, one of the people partially responsible as like an architect of Netflix's dominance. Sure. Mm-hmm. He yep. really let them... Whether or not
1: he knew what he was doing. No. Yeah, making ass of cars. Yeah.
0: But he, he set a precedent and a template. He lent them cachet. He got Frank. He got Frank. He was like the first guy to cash out on the you'll make a lot more money if you sell to Netflix. Right. Than if you did it at a quote unquote normal place. and
1: your name will be your name is everything that they desire right they need to point to we work with serious artists
0: right. to lure in more people right and it's true and when that was announced the response was what do you mean Netflix is buying a show yeah well um,
1: you're right yeah that's why yeah that's why I do think it's amazing he made this mo- a movie about art and commerce in Hollywood um, for Netflix of course. Yes. Um, we can talk about that. Uh when At I the point when the studios are like, I don't know if we fund your movies anymore. Those fuckers. Yeah. Um, when I saw this in 2020, I felt like you, Sean. I watched it multiple times because I was doing a big story on it, but I was like, I love this. Was so afraid to rewatch. Yeah. Its reputation is not improved. No, no. People have basically been like mank mid, you know, to mid to bad. Yes. I fire and I'm like, you know, and plus we set this schedule this recording kind of late. Mm -hmm. And so I had to kind of like throw Mank on in the evening and I was like, ah, God, is this going to be like boring? The minute Mank starts, I'm like, I'm I'm hooting and hollering. This movie is fun. Am I insane for thinking this movie (laughs) is an airy delight? But Griffin, I don't know what, I I, honestly, I don't know what
0: you think of this movie. I'm pointing
1: this to Griffin because I don't know how he feels.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I was like trying really hard to not get stuck in this rut. But I did like watch this movie and have the flashback to how I felt in 2020, where I'm like, I cannot stop thinking about how angry I am that I never got to see this in a theater. And this was my problem, Sean, when we were in like 2020 and I like opted out of most of the Oscar films. And when we did our awards at the end, there was like a list of like 20 major, quote unquote, major movies that I hadn't seen when I'm usually so compulsive about like checking all those boxes. And I did watch this at the time. But so many of them, I was like watching the thing I would have wanted to see in theaters depresses me Mm -hmm. more than if I'm just watching things that I maybe would have otherwise waited to see on an airplane, which then started to get prioritized for me in 2020 streaming. Um, And I watched this movie in a better mental state than when I saw it in like November, December of 2020. Mm. But I just kept on getting hit by like... uh, I don't feel like I had a proper first watch of this movie and I was struggling to engage with it fresh. I've been told it would have been amazing in a theater.
1: That's all the crew guys told me.
0: So you were saying, David, like this movie didn't get any theatrical release. And I know that is false because it is a regret of mine that when New York, which was the last state to reopen theaters in America.
1: Uh, It was one of the last for sure. Cuomo was very uninterested in reopening theaters. But
0: New Jersey reopened in like November. We, of course, ended up going to the Curasauts Theater to see Tenet. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, there was a point where the studios weren't feeding any new movies in. And there was a theater in New Jersey right. that was only playing like the six Netflix right. Oscars. So it was they fought, Ma Rainey. Right. It was this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I was just like, fuck, do I like get a $60 Uber right. to go to New Jersey to see Mank by myself? And I chickened out on it. Mm. And I wish I had.
1: Uh, Sean, I'm assuming you did not see this movie in the theater either.
0: I didn't. I'm trying to think of, at that time, I
2: saw... They
1: just put it on my Netflix.
2: I saw Trial of the Chicago 7 at a drive-in. Mm. And their, Netflix God. did do a couple of things like that out here. I saw Nomad Land at a drive-in as well that was sponsored by the Telluride Film Festival, which was that was supposed to be the big film at, at Telluride yep, that year. And course. so they did a drive-in yes. thing at the Rose Bowl, which was cool. Movies. But they didn't do it for Mank. So that's a bummer.
0: Yeah. Not not to foreground the 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 pandemic of it all. Like I like this movie. I feel like I'm sort of dead in the middle between you guys yeah. and the people who totally dismiss it. Yeah. And I wish I was like totally mink-pilled. Mink and I don't know if it's just the like try dosing, okay? Mankrodosing Mancro- five
1: minutes of mank a day, <laughs> yeah. you know, just sort of let him seep into your system, right? Because sometimes
0: it's harder to portion mank out with edibles. My friend Carolyn came up with that, that's really funny.
1: Um, have to shout her out, okay? Let me give you guys some material from the dossier because, of course, this film is the longest period Fincher goes without making a movie is between Gone Girl and mank
3: six that years, right? Sucks, painful, right?
1: Painful. Yeah. I mean,
3: We're obviously, awesome. he, it is,
1: you know, it is. it is. It completely sucks. Now, the first thing he did really get stuck on, though, of course, was Utopia, yes, which I think was going to be a TV show. I yes. mean, obviously, it ended up being a TV no, show. No, he but he yes.
0: comes out of uh, Gone Girl and sets up a deal with HBO, yeah, and sets up two TV shows immediately. I think with a plan for a third. Uh yes right, but he's uh, doing the Utopia adaptation, which right. Rooney Mara was going to star in. He was going to do it for HBO, yes, and, and then eventually moves to Amazon without right. him or Rooney Mara. Videosyncrasy, which was his uh, series about the rise of the music video industry, that's yes. the one I really wanted. That is the which one which filmed to see. several episodes before they pulled the plug. Kerry Condon, Paz Vega, Corbin Burnson.
1: Yeah, come on, give me Corbin. Yeah, you think he would have done Coke in that show? No. Of
0: course not, impossible. Um, so
1: yeah, that got shut down for no good reason, really. They, right. they, they, it was like 2015. They just were sort of like, we need to work on the scripts. This HBO isn't working. has killed so many things that seem interesting. Yeah, and so, like things like you know that legendary, what's it called, Seven Miles of Bad Road or whatever. Sure. It's like that's in the can.
0: Like that's the Lily Tomlin yeah, one. Like, yeah, no one ever saw it. No, but it was like you know, Fincher was coming off of three films. Four consecutive films that were basically uh, uh, crossover hits at the box office. Yes. Were Oscar players to one degree or another. And then suddenly it's like Hollywood's like, this guy's too complicated. It's not worth it anymore. He goes to HBO. It was sort of like before streaming was the threat. It was like, why does this guy going there? And it felt like not only is he going there, but he's doubling down, setting up multiple projects. Right. uh, And then all of them get stuck on the runway. Utopia... I think he said basically boiled down to a difference of like $8 million.
1: Yeah, that's what he said. And to be fair, he's always the one being like, I wanted a few extra million dollars. And the other right. guys are like, he wanted $100 million I yeah. think that's, or whatever. Oh, I think that's it for all of
2: these shows. I, and I think that that yes. is yes. why it's the budget. Netflix thing happened. is because they were like, you know what? Okay.
1: Every time on the budget. Obviously, yes. Steve Jobs was something that he was the first choice for, right. but they they shut him out because apparently he wanted too much money for it. Uh, I think he wanted 45, and they ended up making it like 30. Like, uh, Amy Pascal really wanted him to make the Angelina Jolie Cleopatra movie. A movie
0: that's definitely going (laughs) to
1: happen. That would have obviously ended up just like, they would have like, I don't know, Egypt would have sunk into the sand if they tried to make that. Like, he'd still be making it today. Uh, I forgot about this. He and Gillian Flynn were going to remake Strangers on a
0: Train? With Affleck. We have Affleck in the Farley Grange. I think role. it was going to be a pretty loose adaptation. I think they were sort of going to use it as a springboard. Uh, any thoughts on that, Sean? I, you know, I don't.
2: I think that he's been doing a great job of being a reasonable heir to Hitchcock. So the idea of him mm-hmm. kind of reconstituting Hitchcock is kind of boring to me, honestly. As much as I desperately want him and Affleck to do something again,
0: um, yes, th- they, that would be fun to them special. to work together. I agree with that. This is also the era, though, where outside of the HBO stuff getting set up, every movie he's attaching himself to is like more IP. Yes. He's trying
1: to find look his He's whole thing... He's obviously been in a bestseller book. Run, he said to me when I interviewed him, yeah. this is like he was like, right, I just would find bestsellers because that would be enough. Right. And then that stopped being enough. If I find IP that already has my thematic interest right. and in it's, it, it's a bestseller so a I can convince it. a studio. Right. And then they stopped caring about that. Yeah. Of course, the strangest thing that he almost made is World War Z
0: two. Right. Which I have heard he was like really close to doing. Yeah. And people I know who were like kind of in the loop on what he was developing were like, look. Look, he was using that as a way to get the money to play around and do what the fuck he wanted. Right. But his ideas were really cool and interesting. I'm sure they were. Can I, I ask a question that? If, he, that, if, yes.
2: if, if there was not so much public knowledge of the kind of crisis of the making of the first World War Z, do mm-hmm. you think that he would have made the second World War Z? Because do, I feel like think normal moviegoers were like, I heard this movie was a fucking mess.
1: Yeah. Yes, that movie became notorious. Although it did okay. It did. Right. It made money. I do think
0: even normal people were like, I heard this was sort of a calamity. Production-wise. Yeah, but I think it was that weird thing where you're like, the movie ended up doing well. I guess people kind of liked it. There's not a burning desire, but also like, why not just make another Brad Pitt zombie movie if everyone's down? You can kind of sell that like it's its own thing. I just think World War Z2 is a terrible title. It is. <laughs> they would have had to think of something else. <laughs> right. Uh,
1: obviously, the things he does make are Mindhunter. Uh-huh. Um, which cements his relationship with sure. Netflix, and that thing Love, Death, and Robots, which I'm right. going to be honest, I've never seen. No, and I know people love. It's okay. I don't know if you've watched yeah, it. you think it's okay? Yeah, I
0: mean, right. that sort of is him finding a way to do what he always wanted to do with heavy metal, which he kept right. on trying to get off the ground as an omnibus sort of a platform for people like Tim Miller and a lot of his uh, protégés. And then, uh, no, the uh, the other two projects that like he kept on trying to go back to were Rendezvous with Rama. Right. Which is the Arthur C. Clarke book. Yes, now Denny Villeneuve is obsessed with making that. But that Morgan Freeman had the rights to and was always trying to get Fincher on to do and they always were like, look, it's an expensive movie that doesn't sell toys and it's not for kids. It's very adult sci-fi. It's hard to sell. Right. But anytime he had a hit, he'd like kind of push it again and people would say no. Right. And then the other one was him trying to do the Disney uh, 2,000 Leagues, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Right. 2,000 Leagues would be terrible. <laughs> Barely get under the sea. That's the prequel. Right. Cool. Yeah. That's if you're really slicing the salami very thin. Um, but that, was Stephen Knight supposed to write that for him? I don't fucking know. It's not even in here. His thing, because that was like a that was, 15 that was year over decades, right? He was trying kept... to do it with Brad Pitt, and I think Brad Pitt passed, and Disney was like, well, only greenlight it if you get Brad Pitt or someone of his level. And his thing was, he was like, I was obsessed with Empire Strikes Back. I wanted to see if there was a way to make a blockbuster that's that dark. Right. And I think they would only green light it if he got Cruise or Pitt or Clooney.
2: I'd always thought about trying to do an what if episode of the big picture, like an unmade Mm -hmm. movies for all the great directors. But then you guys just showed me that that's not a good idea because it's just like, well, it didn't happen. Like, what can you even say? The (laughs) problem is it didn't happen. Would have been cool.
1: Is always the answer. Right. I guess you could like fantasy cast some of them, but obviously some of them had people attached. Uh, will Smith was attached to that at one point, apparently. Sure, that's like a caliber star, you know, and a right. Columbia guy. Obviously, yeah. I
2: feel like in this right. era of like Dune and The Creator and all these other movies, though, isn't it time for him to do a two hundred million dollar adult sci fi movie? Like, I, let him fucking do like, it. He's but make I do one think
1: of these. he's not Gareth Edwards. It will cost two hundred million dollars, right? But it'll be good. Yes. So let him do it. Yeah. Um, I would love. For him to to not make a Netflix movie. I'm yes. sorry. Like, I like Mank, and I'm excited for the killer, but I would love for him to make a studio film again. I think that would be nice. Really badly. Um. Okay. Uh. We all know David Fincher. Yes. Did you know he has a father? I dis... <laughs> Jack Fincher! I
0: thought it was Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> That's the
1: only father I've heard of. Uh. So, Jack Fincher a journalist, worked for uh, Life magazine Mm -hmm. for many years, uh, was obsessed with Citizen Kane uh, in the way that many people are, I guess. Mm -hmm. I showed his son a 60-millimeter version of it in film appreciation class when he was 12 years old, I guess. And, uh, you know, I think Fincher's a big influence. Jack is a big influence on David,
0: it's, Exposing him to stuff yeah. yeah Showing
1: him big movies When they're
0: teenagers You know uh, Sean I saw that you Recently uh, logged a rewatch Of uh, Citizen Kane On Letterboxd Have you guys seen Citizen Kane <laughs> Oh my Pretty god Pretty
1: good Here's the
0: thing With that movie
1: I think the last time I rewatched it Was probably in preparation For Mink The first time
0: I rewatched it this week Cool Um I think it is incredibly well made. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah, it's good, but th- the filmmaking in it <laughs> okay. is really strong. Oh boy! So, what were your what were your Kane thoughts on this rewatch, Sean?
2: Uh, it's it's on the short list of movies I've seen like well over twenty times. Um, it's, a lot. it's uh, to, to to David's point about Mank, I'm like this thing moves, man. Like this thing is so fun. It's on it's on rails. Like it's just really exciting and funny and looks amazing, obviously. And it's eighty years old. And as you guys know, there are not a lot of movies that are eighty years old that have that pace. So I I was into it.
0: I think there are. I think forties movies are fun. But that one particularly still feels entirely modern in a way that is astonishing. And like you can rewatch it every couple of years and be like, it's still kind of ahead of the curve. It's the one movie like that where people who are like, yeah, I know I should watch that homework. And I'm like, you're going to have fun yeah, you'll watching. Yeah, go enjoy yourself. Um, so apparently
1: Jack reads Pauline Kael's infamous Raising Cain essay, mm-hmm. uh, which is the essay that sort of starts the debate on who deserves the most credit for Citizen Kane's screenplay. It's a very slanted and uh, factually inaccurate, I would say, is uh-huh. sort of the take these days, right? Uh, take... On Herman Mankiewicz being sort of like the primary author of Citizen Kane's sure. screenplay, yes, right. Like now, I feel like everyone agrees that Kale's maybe a little too slanted towards Mank,
2: right? Yeah. Okay, here's my question yes. about that: Why? Like, why? What? What is the origin of the axe grinding in Raising Kane?
1: Like, what? Wait, why did? Where did this come Kale from? want to take down? Wells, yeah,
2: Cale and whatever John Houseman's influences, and like right. ultimately, why does Wells become the target? Because it's core; it's very related to what this movie is and how people received this movie. And mm-hmm. I, so, it's a little bit of a mystery to me why she was like, you know, what we got to take Wells down a notch.
1: It's a book length essay. Have either of you read Raising Kale? Yes, I have. Yes, I, have. I read 50, it for this film. Words. I I read it. I think yes, back when I was prepping to interview Fincher, I had maybe read excerpts of it before then. And, uh, she was a huge. You know, Kale is not the non-octorist in a way. Like, you know, yes. if Andrew Saris is the king of the auteur critics, you know, tourist critics, she's the other opposite. And she's, you know, I think coming at this is like screenwriters are like the most abused class in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, especially back in the '30s or '40s, where people barely even got credit for their work, right? Most of Manquitz's most famous screenplays, he's not even credited for. In the thirties and forties, because it was just like, you know, yeah, you know, come on, do a polish. You right. know. And um she meets with John Hausman. uh, that's his name, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in the sixties, and he is very much like, you know, no one ever gives Mank credit. Like he's the one who fucking pumped out three
0: hundred pages and then Wells rewrote it, sure, but like it's all it all came from Mank. You well, know? I uh, the personal ties that Mink has the material is obviously the thing that makes it kind of alluring to be like, it's, well, this makes more sense coming it's out dramatically
1: of fascinating, right? Yes, obviously.
0: And um, but is is part of it? Sort of the, I don't know. Like, I'm interested in what you're getting at, Sean, which is like, I love Orson Welles' filmography, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this narrative of like he was the boy wonder, and they gave him the blank check. And then he kind of never got it again, and none of his movies ever really connected in the and same Hollywood way. In their moment, him. all they that took
1: shit. Ambersons away from him, right? all that stuff. And I think you know.
0: he made several masterpieces. Yes, but also there's no other movie he made that is like Citizen King. There is a unique like voice to it, sure. That is clearly the influence of like collaboration. Um, the thing obviously the essay
1: comes out. It's huge, so Sean. Go ahead. Well,
2: just the thing I can't wrap my head around is. One, I agree with what you just said, Griffin. Two, did K- Kale, who is not really a journalist, you know, Kale is a critic, no. but she's attempting yeah, yes. to kind of, you know, formulate this kind of critical journalism around this yes. idea, this kind of discovery that in fact Mankiewicz is the primary author of this movie that we, many people consider like one of the five most important American movies ever made, if not number one. Yeah, And she's like, I'm a journalist. I got the real story because I talked to the producer of the movie. And she presents the, this in a way that it's like a finding,
1: but there's definitive, right? Yeah.
2: There's no forensic analysis really no, yeah. here. It's just like, I heard a story once and I'm a really, I'm, a, I'm the film critic of my time. So I'm just going to argue it. But what motivated her other than just having a lunch and being influenced by someone? I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that.
1: The other main voice that we should, uh, UCLA professor Howard Suber, who had done a lot of research on Kane and is relating a lot of stuff to her. Sure. But yes, I think it's mostly like her fervent defense. She has long said, I mean, she's dead now. I hate to break this to you guys, yeah, but uh, she's not Pauline still saying
0: actually. this. She's not saying. this us be clear, like this.
1: Pauline Kale is kind of like a total G who yeah. rules, and you'll read her like you know ripping "Fucking Raiders of a Lost Ark" like a new <laughs> asshole, and you'll be like, she's wrong, but like I'm loving reading. It's a prime example <laughs> of
0: a you know. thing I I think more people could benefit from keeping in their mind, which is like you don't need to agree with someone to find value in what they're saying, and yes. like. Look, Especially in the world of film discourse. I am a New York critic, and at this point,
1: even like the famous Paulettes like David Edelstein or Owen Gleiberman or whoever, you know, like her acolytes oh, are
0: sure. quite old. Pauly and... Paulette from NCIS. Go on.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh but you still kind of feel her influence. Yeah. And which is crazy. Yeah. And I kind of long. A lot for... of shit
0: posters just
1: trying to be. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's true. Pauline. They wish they were
1: Pauline. And, like, you know, you kind of long for those days you hear about in the 60s and, you know, where they're having parties and, you know, being intellectuals and getting shit-faced and, yeah. like, whatever they From were on ver- haymakers at each other. Right, you know, like, throwing drinks at each other or whatever they were doing. So here's
0: another thing, though. Uh, I,
1: but she calls him... Yeah. Uh, Kale calls him, basically, Mankiewicz, yeah. uh, like a person who wrote about 40 of the film's
0: best films of the 20s and 30s, a key linking figure right. in the kinds of movies I love, The linking figure thing is the interesting thing, right. and also because so much of his like work is hard to fully trace back to him, you can kind of make this argument of, like, was he just to some degree touching everything that was getting made, either directly or indirectly, right. especially with, like, the cabal of other literary guys he was recruiting into Hollywood and sort of, like, building in his model... Um, Raising Cain to be clear is not if not entirely
1: discredited essentially seen as not rigorous enough for it's like how definitive it is Peter Bogdanovich famously wrote a big rebuttal essay Jonathan Rosenbaum later alleged that Orson Welles wrote that whole essay and published it under Bogdanovich's name Uh Um, but you know in which he, he contested a lot of this stuff the ultimate fact is in my opinion Mank is basically giving you what we know which is Mankiewicz definitely holed up in a house. Mm. Wrote a gigantic screenplay called American uh-huh. that was a zillion pages long. Yes, having been commissioned to do so by Orson Welles. Right. Wells then takes it and starts working on it, and it,
0: it almost an act of self sabotage. Yes, like, where
1: he's like, "I'm right. going to fucking lay it all out there, and I'm going to make fun of my my pal George, you know, right. uh, William Randolph that. Write a and all script that.
0: that's basically unfilmable. That's right. that's basically declaring war against the most powerful people in the media. He
1: gives it to Wells. Wells is like, great, I have a blank check. I'm now going to start working on, you know, I'll tinker with this. Yeah. And as he's doing that, Mankowitz is like, I actually want credit. I never have done this before. I've worked on a million things, but I do want credit for this one. And he gets it, and he wins an Oscar. Yeah. And he's credited with Wells, but Wells definitely also worked on the script of Citizen Kane, yeah. He didn't just like put it in his pocket and go like, "Now I'll film it and take all the credit." ha ha, ha ha right. One day, I'll voice a planet in a Transformers movie,
0: <laughs> yes, his best performance um I think I, i'm I'm curious if there's another thing. obviously there's like the the kale anti tourist right? Like this is a hill for her to die on in order to make a larger point right. Which is like, we shouldn't buy into the idea that the director is the author of every movie. So, why not use this as an example? I also think there's Andrew Sarris
1: writing about Citizen Kane also basically invents auteur theory or helps in the 50s. Like, he's the one who, quote unquote, rediscovers Citizen
0: Kane. Is there something to this being like a film world analog to the the Shakespeare conspiracy theories thing Mm -hmm. where it's just like, we just don't want to accept, like, this guy was so amazing. This was his first movie. Right. Right. Not even like, well, actually, Orson Welles was like a fucking con artist and a fake and had no substance. But just the idea of like, we can't believe he was just kind of like touched by God and made this perfect object. Right. Yeah. Uh, There's something humbling of like the idea of like, well, he had a drunk in a bed typing shit out. Sean, what do you think?
3: Well,
2: it's important to look at it in in this context and and in the context of what you were describing, Griffin, about his other movies, which are all kind of masterpieces, but almost all of them, especially in that middle period where he's a little bit on the outskirts of Hollywood, are adaptations. They're adaptations yeah, like of Beth novels. They're adaptations of Shakespeare. Right. There are, Stuff you know, like he that. was going to do Hearts of Dark- Heart of Darkness instead mm. of Kane. And, you know, so in a way, this is him adapting an experience that Herman Mankiewicz had. Like Her- Mank being inside the Hearst inner circle... And then iterating on that story as a story about power, influence, media, vanity, whatever Kane is about, all these other things. It's just him adapting his version of Shakespeare. So, like, both things can be true. I think you're right, right. that that's why Kale is arguing the case because she's like, we need to demythologize Otor's theory, that this is a thing that is overstated. But uh, she she goes too far and then that leads to a lot of controversy to me I would be like I, I would tell encourage people to read The Making of Citizen Kane by Robert Carringer that's the book right. that is like the definitive text that debunks Kale's book and also gives right. you all the info that you need around how that movie was made
0: Battle Over Citizen Kane is also the the excellent documentary that, that the then was remade I rewatched both
1: of those for that you did? I did a lot of fucking prep this week RKO 281? How, yes. how is that movie? I haven't seen
0: it it's, you know it is, 20 years look, it is very watchable it is really funny to watch as a chaser for this movie because they present Mank as like it's, such a cop. a pain in the <laughs> ass right yeah, but who also, plays Mank in that
1: Malkovich
0: oh wow sure yeah, and, I and mean, he, I could see it. He's just playing, like, ineffectual Malkovich, where he's like, Orson, come on, we shouldn't write this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and Orson's just like, shut up and drink more. Right, And right. it's Liev who's just kind of doing Liev, just being a different, intense, handsome guy with a deep voice. Right.
1: There's two ways to play Orson Welles. That's one. The other one is what you're doing here, where it's like right. pinky-in-the-brain voice on right. a guy who looks like Orson Welles.
0: Which yeah. I <laughs> think Liev Schreiber is pretty solid in RKO sure. 281, but... Orson Welles is so distinctive that if right. you're not doing him, it's actually distracting. It's more distraction, distracting than trying to do him and missing it. I by think a it's little. also just fun to do him.
1: Yeah. Like, what's
0: more fun than doing an Orson Welles impression? Who's Leaf Schreiber the- should now do a movie about the wine commercial. What were you going to say? Who does fun? the best
2: Orson? Do you think?
0: Well, I mean, to me, like Vincent
1: D'Onofrio in Ed Wood with Pinky and the Brain the voice thing. is the best Orson Welles. I do like the performance in that fucking Linklater movie. Yeah, that's what going to say. Uh, uh, McKay is, is pretty good. McKay, yeah, it's really good. That movie is kind of whatever, but yeah. he is great.
0: And but I, he's playing young Wells,
1: yes. so he can kind of get away with not being totally you know, the movie guy yet, right? You know I think
0: Burks Wells is very good. He's good. I think he's really good. But the stage. movie isn't that interested in him no, in a he's... way where he gets to cook in the way that other guys playing Wells Wow,
1: like Schreiber lost to Lemon for Tuesdays with Mari. Wow. He got
0: his ass kicked by Mari. <laughs> wow.
1: Oh, man, that is the worst. The Tuesdays with Mari, I think, is the worst piece of art ever filmed. <laughs>
0: Have you seen that fucking Make thing? the case. Make the case. Make the case. It
1: just sucks. I'm not going to make the case. <laughs> didn't someone, didn't, what director, didn't a real director make
0: that? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Is it Mark Rydell? Let's see. Who made with,
1: Who Says With Mari? I think you're
0: right, though, Sean. It's one even better than
1: Mick this. Jackson, the guy who made The Bodyguard. Yeah. Guard, okay. Among other stuff Volcano, yeah. LA yeah. Story, Temple Grandin, Who saves With Mari? Yeah, he made Threads. Yeah, yeah. Mick Jackson um, is fascinating. Weird career. Yeah, because I think he's he's English, right? I think he's one of those guys like, yeah, I'll shoot this piece of shit for you. Who <laughs> gives a shit? You know? <laughs> fucking yeah. Maury sit over there, you know, whatever.
0: Right. The kind of journeyman director who thinks his job is annoying. Yeah, my 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 uh is like, what's my motivation? It's fucking Tuesday. <laughs> Seeing Maury again. Look at the calendar <laughs> and fucking exit off. <laughs> Wednesday is (laughs) tomorrow Yesterday was Monday That's your fucking direction (laughs) The coast used to be toast I was
1: making volcano movies (laughs) The coast was toast So Jack Fincher Apparently wrote a lot of spec scripts Okay Fincher uh, David says that This is gonna be confusing Uh, David says that Jack Apparently Rock Hudson was interested once In a spec script he wrote But it fizzled out Weird Okay In like the 60s Yeah his dad retires from journalism in the early '90s, and he, you know, was doing like you know, uh, he'd written I think a novel that he'd never published or whatever. Okay. And he says to David, like, "I'm thinking of writing a script. Like, what would you be interested by? Like, what's a story?" And he and Fincher, David, is yeah. like, "I've always been fascinated by the friction between Mank and Wells. Okay, uh, no one's ever told
0: that story." And so that's Jack's why Fincher like, oh, okay. was so hung up on this script and not trying to make any of his dad's other unmade screenplays. Right. I mean, it would be funny if his dad wrote a
1: screenplay about, like, you know, a brain that takes over Los Angeles, like some like completely goofy shit. Yeah. I don't know. He's like, Brad,
0: um, please make my dad's brain script. And
1: David says the script that Jack presents to him is limited in scope. It's uh-huh. about a great writer who's obliterated from me- memory by a showboating megalomaniac. Like... David is very upfront that like Jack's script is way less pro or is way more pro-Mank. Yeah. Like it's Eric Roth who really wrote this movie. No right. offense to Jack Venture, RIP like, sure. who died 20 years ago. But and he came in and
0: put a lot more nuance into it I think. Like, but it's like an anti-Mank situation. What do you mean it's an anti-Mank Well story? it's sort of like the opposite of what this movie is depicting. Uh, oh, sure. This movie is arguing, like, here's the guy who built the foundation of the script, right. and someone else kind of came in and took a lot of the credit for it. Right. And this is Fincher being like, Eric Roth, do me a solid. I'm not going to give you the screenplay credit. Right.
1: Well, I'm sure Eric Roth was gentlemanly and was like, I of would
0: course. never take it." I'll debts. give you, like, a producer credit. He gets credit a producing credit. He gets an EP yeah. credit. I'm sure he got right. taken care of. Right. But it's like it's the opposite of this movie, which is not only also do, do I want this made, I want the credit and I want to go down in history.
1: Every five minutes in Eric's Roth life, an, a man appears with a bag filled with gump money and just <laughs> yes. hands it over. Like yes. here's your here's your less newest delivery of gump money. That's the story too on Killers of
2: the Flower Moon. It's like Scorsese had him yeah. come in, he writes this script, it's a very strict adaptation of the book, and then Scorsese's right. like, you know what, this isn't a good idea. We're gonna reframe this
1: completely.
0: And Scorsese literally
1: rewrites it. Tearing yeah. almost all of this out. Yeah. Rip it
0: up. Do you think Eric Roth gets a commission on every shrimp? <laughs> every Bubba gum shrimp? Yeah. He should. On every sh- right. individual
1: shrimp
2: sold?
0: That's my question. Or do you think he doesn't
1: want to be acknowledged as the creator of Bubba Gum specifically? <laughs> um, okay. It says
0: on the menu, written by Eric Roth. Right.
1: Um, so... Fincher says, I had just finished making Alien 3. Mm-hmm. I'm handed this script that my dad wrote about all powerful directors ruining storytelling. Mm-hmm. And Fincher's like, yeah, that's not something I've experienced. <laughs> so he kind of like puts the script down. Sure. Um, You know, uh, when this movie came out, we can mention that like, you know, like, Fincher gave this one interview early on, mm-hmm. and then everyone got mad at him. And Sean, do you remember the details of this? Because like I feel like he came off in one interview as being too pro-Mank and anti-Wells. Okay. Yes. Right? Yes. Sean and early on in up? the
2: cycle, you mean?
1: Yes. Yeah. And then a lot of film nerds yelled at him, and he was like, I'm not like, you know, I'm not so simple-minded about this. I promise. Like uh, because I remember when I interviewed him, he just stayed on the phone and he was like, I need to relitigate a bunch of shit I said in the Vulture interview Interesting. or okay. something like that. Yeah, I, I want to say it was New York Mag. I feel like it was. Yes. I think it was New York Magazine. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, Fincher eventually, as he's revisiting this idea, he's like, I'm really interested by this character who's like a pinball who gets bounced around Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he's connected to a bunch of stuff. He thinks it's beneath him. And then... There's this one crazy moment where he actually gets to do his best best work because, you know, Orson Welles sure has this blank check. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like the, the the crucial dramatic idea in this movie, I think, is why does he finally go like Actually, I want credit. Please, once can I can I get the credit? Now,
0: maybe I'm about to be corrected on this. Okay, because Lord knows Reddit's wrong about a lot of things. Great. But I feel like I saw someone on our subreddit, A Hive of Scum and Villainy, say that Fincher is the first director we've covered who does not have a single writing credit on well, one of his movies.
1: I mean, I'm not
0: sure. Tr- I'd, I'd have to. Think. We'd
1: have to go through
0: and really right. to get everything. Which but yeah, I don't he certainly right never
1: now. has a writing credit on his films. Right. Even though I think he, you know.
0: And even though we've covered a lot of directors who are not primarily writers or write a lot of their things. And Fincher's obviously very hands on in developing his did scripts. Bigelow and ever scripts. Write a, she did, right? I think she gets at least story by credit on a few of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, largely, you're right. We do cover Well, Burton never really. But he gets story He by. gets a story on credit. On Scissor a Hands and Nightmare. Yeah. Right. And Fincher yeah, uh, could probably. Bigelow wrote a lot of movies. Fincher, if he wanted to, probably could have fought for story credit sure. on a lot of his films because he's so often commissioning scripts or developing them very hands on, but he never fights for them. That's an interesting. to consider in this movie for a guy who is seen as such an auteur that's really revelatory about the show you guys
2: are making too that you're so drawn to bizarre those kinds of artists i mean i'll be honest i i I don't think i had realized that was particularly the case and i know that in a case of like i didn't either andrew kevin walker for example i'm sure that fincher is co-writing some of that stuff that they've done together yes but that's a big reason why I have such an obsession with Fincher personally is he's yeah. the ultimate studio hand and he's the ultimate auteur at the same time. He's four higher genius. And I love those four higher guys from the seventies so much. And from the forties too. Like, I just think that that's a really in- applying your artistry on something that is like forced on you is a fascinating yeah. idea to me. And maybe that says a little bit about me too.
0: Well, there's something very <laughs> telling about the fact that in this period of time, he's like, "Yeah, I'll fucking make World War Z too." Right. Yeah, sure. I'll, I bet you I'll make a good movie. This too. isn't beneath yeah. me. This isn't right. me trying to dig myself out of movie jail. If you want to give me two hundred million dollars to make a zombie movie, I don't care what it takes to get that green light. Um, and like, he's never
1: made films apart from maybe this and Button, where they have a prestige sheen to them. Yeah. Like that's why when people were like, yeah. "I can't believe he'd make World War Z too. I'm like, "Dude, he mostly makes most of his movies are commercially genre minded." Films. Yeah. Yes, like yes. you know, usually the genre is like crime or right. you know whatever, but still, like he is not the guy where it's like, okay, one year from now, Oscar predictions. Well, the Fincher movie for sure. Like, right? People are never like that about a new Fincher movie, except
0: maybe he got into the run. Where yeah, oh, yeah, this movie has a prestigious sheen, but. Isn't
2: it really at its heart not very really pres- very prestigious? Like go on. Well, I mean, it's I about like a drunk Just... who picks fights. You know, like it's not sure it's about Hollywood and politics and these things, but you know, it's kind of a scummy little story about a guy stuck in a bed writing while trying to get second all in his body.
0: It's also not a Magic of the Movies movie that tends to go over well with the Academy. Like, I think this would have been an absolute footnote in any other Oscar season. It would have been seen as a bigger disappointment. I agree. And the only question to me is if someone else had released it. Yeah. So if
1: this wasn't on Netflix. If it was a Fox search. You know, maybe then it has a little more heft because people are... But yes, no, I do think the only reason this is such a big Oscar hit is is the year yeah. it came out. Not to say that I don't like Mink, I love Mink. You love Mank. I love the man and I love the movie. Uh, David Fincher, just to wrap on this, uh, original script that his dad gives him, you know, the script does also have a lot of this Upton Sinclair stuff, mm-hmm. and Fincher's like, who cares? You know, in the 90s, he's like, who gives a shit if there was, like, this, you know, gubernatorial, mm-hmm. you know, fighting going on? And then, like, years later, he's like, this stuff is very, feels very relevant now. Like, all the yeah. fake news stuff. You know, all the, like, Hollywood is tipping the scales. Let's you also know.
0: say... Netflix had said to him, you get an automatic green light on any picture you can work Bill Nye into in a primary role. So once he realized, I have a great opening for Nye here, that's such good casting. Very true. It's uh, so exciting when he shows up. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay. Eric Roth does a bunch of uh, uh, rewrites of it. Uh, after he makes seven, Fincher tries to make this movie. hmm uh, he says it was just seen as too expensive at the time. Yeah, hold your horses. He really wanted to make it in black and white. Mm-hmm. And people that is that. people in the 90s are not interested in that. Like Ed Wood has just bombed basically around this same right. time. He had Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. and Jodie Foster lined up mm-hmm. for the lead roles in 1998. Polygram were maybe going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they got cold feet mostly because of the fucking black and white. Yeah. Because they were like, then we can't sell the rights internationally. Then we can't... Well, video yeah. is dead, yes. right? You know, like yeah. that was how they felt. And then Jack Fincher dies in 2003 of pancreatic cancer. And the movie's on the shelf. And I think Fincher probably is like, well, that probably never gets made. And how does it finally happen? It's when he's, like, stuck making Mindhunter, mm-hmm. which cost a fortune to yeah. make. Yes. And I think was a very long and involved process. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I'm a little sick of this. Ne- Netflix is kind of like, we kind of can't make a third season of
0: this. It's too expensive. Is there something else you want to do? And he's kind of like, Mank? Like, right. pulling it off the shelf. And this is kind of the end of the period of Netflix being like... Anything you want. Pitch us the movie that everyone else has turned down. Right. Um, Bring us your Mutes. Yeah. Your right. Manks. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a third example. But but no, that was a lot of the like the unmakeable movie that's been in development hell forever.
1: What are the others? There are other good
0: examples, I think, right? Uh well, Five Bloods has certainly kicked around for a long time. Five Bloods? Yeah. Ridiculous um, six? Yes. That was Sandler's first. He put it in the drawer and he said, Someday I'll have the cachet to get ridiculous time six. I'm trying to I think. I mean, Roma was shrunken. acquired,
2: but it was kind of a similar thing where it was the- Roma
0: felt similar. Right. I'm trying to think of the ones, though, where it's like this was turned down everywhere else for years. I don't know. I mean, they, like, when
1: movie, the, that slate of blockbusters they had last year that all went nowhere, like Slumberland. Yes. Those were all projects that had died in development elsewhere. W- sure. That got brought over. Yeah. That was kind of Netflix trying to be like, can we just auto-invent a Netflix blockbuster?
0: by like Gray Man. Yes. Yes. All right. had failed to make it out of the studio system alive. I wonder
1: why.
2: I don't know. Too good.
0: Velvet Buzzsaw?
2: Was that one of them? Uh, what? No. Is
1: that what it was called? The Dan Gilroy movie? Do you remember that movie? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> that movie was very disappointing. It was. That's the Dan Gilroy. Has he made something since? No. He
0: really needs to make another it's movie. It's wild how many Netflix movies are like that, where you're like, why isn't that good? Why isn't Velvet That Buzzsaw should show? be good. Yeah.
1: Um, Rum Roman J. Israel rules, though. It does. How do you feel about Roman J. Israel, Sean?
0: You
2: know... We did a
1: Denzel uh, draft on the show recently, and uh, there were some oh, We swiping.
2: listened. No, yeah. no one selected that one. And uh, I would have. I remember liking it at the time, but feeling like it was a very self conscious attempt to do something that would have been made in 1978. And mm. um, a little bit. Yeah, I'm not against that in general. I feel like that's kind of what the holdovers is to me too. But uh, it, it didn't didn't hit as hard as I wanted it to. I like I, I, I like I'm Gil- I'm in on Team Gilroy though. Whatever they're yeah. up to, I want to know what they're doing.
1: So. Fincher starts to make Mink. Mm-hmm. He casts Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is 20 years older than Mink was at the time. Yes. Now, people
0: I'm, clown on this. A people
1: lot. clown on this, although I want to read because I love this. Yeah. Larry Mayfield, the casting director, when I mm-hmm. talked to her, because I asked her about this. I had to, obviously.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, you know, why is he casting? Because Mink is what, like late 30s? 40. He says he's 43 in the movie. 43. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Larae's like, Look, I know Oldman is older than Herman was when he died. He's an old man. It's right there in the name. <laughs> but then she says, But look, Herman was beat to shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, people during that time period. They could be 20 or they could be 40 and you wouldn't even know.
0: Yeah, it's like, I mean, I you watch like Dog Day Afternoon you're like, Charles Durning's 15 in this? <laughs> There's a lot of that with like that era of hard living men. I just love the idea of beat
1: to shit. Beat to shit, yeah. Um, how do you feel about the casting? I mean, Oldman is just one of those guys where Fincher has always like just wanted to work with Oldman, I think, as
0: part of it, right? Yeah, it's odd that it took this long. Yeah. That he cast Douglas Urbanski before he actually cast Oldman in something. Douglas Urbanski is his manager. Yes. Uh, How do you feel about Gary Oldman, Sean?
1: In the movie or in general? In general first, and then in the movie. In general,
2: he's one of the most electrifying actors of our lifetime. Um, In the last 15 years, he's been doing a different kind of thing than the everyone guy, you know? The, like, psycho person that... I think tantalized us Um, in this movie. I think he's perfect. If we stop worrying about whether or not mank is historically accurate.
1: I agree. I agree. He's great for a rumpled guy. Who's got like a sharp tongue and can't kind of help himself being like both sad sack and class clown. It's just he's a bit oddly old. So can like,
0: I throw out my big thesis on why this movie's reputation is so, like, uh, kind of wonky? You know what Wolfman was good in was Oppenheimer. He's great now. Well, Oppenheimer. A, what a one-scene performance. Yes, go yeah. ahead. Um, Fucking love Oppenheimer. What a great movie. Uh, Yeah, good good picture. Also, another film where I found that the filmmaking is quite good. <laughs>
1: I'm so excited for Oppenheimer to just, like, roar to the Oscars, which I have
0: been predicting since April. I have been, like, on yeah. this train. But yeah. I
1: am worried that people are going to get bored.
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. Either. I don't think so. I think it's I think it's a fucking phrase. Sweep trip. coming. Sweep coming? I think, I think so. Picture, think director, director coming, yes. actor,
1: screenplay. What do you think? I'm, I am think actor, supporting play- actor, also? yes. I'm not sure about actor.
0: I think that's a really good show. Who do you think's got the heat for the actor right now? A good question. It is a good question. And I haven't forgotten my point. I'm gonna make my point, but maybe it's a point I save for a little bit. Because I later. was some some Cooper uh
1: excitement rising
2: here.
0: Mm. That I think that movie is excellent,
1: but the fact that I th- the reason I the reasons I love it might be the reasons Oscar will lose. be frosty to it. Yeah. But yeah, because I'm looking at a list here and it's like Giamatti and the Holdovers I'm like good I love that performance I love Paul Giamatti I
0: don't think that's like it's the thing You know winning an Oscar When you actually look At the contenders list It's hard to think about Someone beating Killian Cooper's probably The closest
1: partly Out of a sort of like Okay Jesus You have a zillion nominations so Like let's Let's nip Have you seen American Fiction yet David? I have I think that's a great performance But it's 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 a locked down performance Yeah Jeffrey Wright He's a guy though Who it's like Well he's I just been him. amazing For 20 years a hundred percent. Like, Kill- I would love him to sneak into a nom at the very least.
0: Killian yeah. also has the weird thing where Killian it's Killian has like, that too, obviously. Right. It's not like there's ever been a major snub where people thought he was going to get nominated, but this feels like it's functioning as a lifetime achievement thing. The whole press tour around Oppenheimer was where like they were the other actors like bowing being like, to him, yeah. Right, this guy's always been great, and he's never totally been thrown the ball and allowed to run I think with it. it's just, you know, too internal. But we'll see. We'll see. What's your point about Mink? My point about Mank is...
1: uh, I said that on the Mank podcast. Yes.
0: No, no, of course. When we're talking about, like, is this film representative of what Mank was really like as a guy? Is this film representative of the actual developmental process of Citizen Kane? Right. We were talking about this on our Social Network episode where I would say things about Mark Zuckerberg and you'd be like, to clarify, what you're saying is not backed up about the real Mark Zuckerberg. And I was like, right, no. Everything I'm saying in this episode is Zuckerberg in quotes. The character as depicted in this film... Which I was saying, like, Sorkin is kind of using that story the way that, like, Shakespeare riffs on the previous emperors and kings, mm-hmm. right? And I think, like, uh, the Finchers and Eric Roth and old men are all doing the same thing here, but I think when you're doing that with film history— And the film is so narrow cast to film dorks. Yes. It starts to feel really touchy for people. That's exactly the problem. Yes. Where then they're like, why is he 20 years too old? Why is Orson Welles a little bit of a dilettante? Why is, like, all this shit?
1: I'm watching this movie with my wife, and I'm just like, what's going on? And I'm like, well, Citizen Kane, and she's like, I'm
0: right brain is off not listening to you right
1: only citizen Kane nerds really care about this and they have way too many opinions on all they're of this. the
0: exact people this movie is made for and you're like no one cares about you damaging the reputation of facebook or zuckerberg or the winklevi right <laughs> who gives a shit tell me the best story you can you know i can parse what statement you want to make from this story from what actually happened i give you that latitude well i, I think this movie is just made too much for Hyperliteral dorks. I'm trying to figure out who it's actually made for
2: because I had a little bit of a meltdown about this, you know, probably a straw man argument with the imaginary Wells Defenders, but...
0: I love it. Go on. The
2: idea that the Wells Defenders were like this movie is a pox on Wells' legacy always felt strange to me because Wells actually is what they want him to be he actually is right. one of the granddaddies one of the most celebrated artists of the 20th century his his reputation is encased in stone
1: yes it is concrete yeah there is nothing right right talking but with one
2: that. thing that is not encased in stone is the legacy of the writers rooms at paramount and mgm in the 30s and 40s right. and the production model of those studios at that time and the way that the star system worked and the way the power operated and Upton Sinclair's, you know, governorship candidacy. Like, none of those things are really memorialized in the same way that Kane is, the way that Wells is. So I always found it, it was a little bit of a like, you F- Wells defenders feel like they're being bullied, but in fact, they are bullying. And maybe sure. I'm just imagining who I, who I was opposed to while celebrating this movie, but that always felt well, like my. such a phony aspect of the rejection of the movie.
0: Your argument is that like it it's a little bit like the Marvel fans getting angry at Scorsese Yeah, when it's like you're winning. What are you upset about?
2: <laughs> yeah, but it would yeah, be like if Marvel fans them. were he's getting bad. mad about um Nomadland or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it's right, like it's right. Nomadland. It's not it's not even in the race. Like what are you worried about?
1: <laughs> yes. 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 And again, I think you watch this movie and you're like I think if you watch this movie you're coming away with Herman Mankowitz contributed you know, hugely to the film Citizen Kane. Yeah, even if he could be a bit of a sort of fatuous, difficult guy. You know, at the end when he says, "Like I wrote this thing in absence with Orson." Yeah, you know, the the absence of Orson. You're like, you little bitch. When like, he's oh man, the speech you're saying, yeah, right. which is what he said, obviously. Yeah. But like, you're not like that's
0: right, Mink. <laughs> you tell him, right?
1: You're like, oh, you're you know, you're a little fucker to the end. Like, you can't help yourself.
0: Yes. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uncork the big question of the episode, and David is going to sigh so loudly oh, with his no. entire body when I ask this because he's going to fear it? what happens to the next 10 minutes of the podcast. Sean? Sean Fantasy? Yeah. Did you ever watch The Offer? God, (laughs) I think we have to create a dialectic between The Offer and Mank. I think we must. We
1: definitely don't. I think we have no choice. Did you watch The Offer, Sean?
2: I not only watched it, but I completed it. I watched all 10 episodes of the Paramount Plus series, The Offer.
0: All 10 hours? (laughs) Oh, God. The most insane TV show ever
1: made. The Offer was kind of the winning time of of movie yes. shows right like it was the same idea where they're like we're going to tell you the story as you've never heard it before and i'm like i'm reading wikipedia right yes. now like i'm watching people read wikipedia
0: uh- to me uh, offer...
1: i know offer is slanted right? yeah like towards ruddy right like it's insane I mean, offer is like yeah instance for in- Cope, like, yeah that guy was a yeah. journeyman <laughs> you know he had a couple notes but ruddy right he was the guy what also has godfather.
0: one of the greatest uh, writing credits of all time which is based on the experiences <laughs> <laughs> of albert ruddy producing the godfather okay what do you have to say about the offer Sean, what was your experience with the offer?
1: Well, on paper, I'm um, like, this is porn.
2: Like, I, you know, um, yes. um, right. a TV, a, an extended TV series examining the making of one of the greatest movies ever made. And also inside the studio that I am personally obsessed with, that run at Paramount. Mm. Yes. Is yes. 70, yes. Right. That is the pinnacle. And not just because Evan's, Evans 70's is so new cool Hollywood. and, yes. you know, right. the ownership and all that. So on paper, loved it. Watching the movie, it was like having the blood slowly I think of it as like body. a 10 hour
0: movie. Was, yeah. Uh I'm sorry. Uh, Sean David is pulling up different character posters for the offer and showing them to me. So I'm just having a great time. Um I I think the offer is so compellingly bad. It's brutal. I think it is one of the most gonzo things ever produced. But I think there's this weird thing of <laughs> David you have to stop showing me Offer. Mario Puzo oh, got a character poster.
1: Get this episode <laughs> done. How about this Naiad poster? Look at this one.
0: Woo. Well, here's the thing. The Offer does a similar thing where it makes... Coppola and Puzo both out to be putzes. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. Which is sort of a bold move. Right. Who like donuts more than they like make movie- making movies or writing things. And it's like only Ruddy was there to like goose them along yeah. into making a masterpiece. <laughs> Food hungry morons. <laughs> okay. Who are like eating cakes in a swimming pool is like how they're depicted. But I think I, part of what I find so fascinating about the offer is that it's like it's so bad. And it's so bad, built as a monument to the best piece of filmmaking <laughs> in the latter half of the 20th century. It's like using the medium itself poorly to try to explain a better use of the medium. And the gap between Mank and Citizen Kane is much closer. Mm-hmm. Right. But in a certain way, I think when the gap is closer, the movie starts to suffer a little bit more. I think it, the other... Now Showing me the NIAD poster, what do you, Sean. What do you, what
2: what poster do you see? He's showing me the NIAID poster. I'm texting NIAID it to you, poster. Sean.
0: I'll just text it to you. He's just sent, showing me posters. Um, what were you about to say, Sean?
2: I mean, the, the, they're similar in one other way, which is that the offer is written and created by Michael Tolkien, who wrote yes. arguably the single best movie about working in Hollywood, uh, based on yeah. his novel. And just like David Fincher, is like one of the signature thinkers about what control a director has over a movie. And he made a movie about how maybe the director was not as important to the making of a movie. And there's a kind of inherent dissonance in that that is interesting. It's
0: just that... And Mank his father, Mel Tolkien, also a writer, you know, in, in a golden age of Hollywood, right. working on your show shows and stuff and having that lineage. Stop talking about the offer! I told you I was doing it. <laughs> I think there's something to the fact that the offer is so junky and the... Mank is more elevated. But as we were saying at the beginning of this episode... Sis and Kane is just like so fucking undeniably enjoyable. Mm. Whereas this movie is by design a little bit thornier and meaner. Yeah. As, as much as Sis uh, and Kane, the movie, has a very complicated relationship to its lead character, this movie is more mirroring the attitude of Mink, the guy. It's
1: like spiky and sort of.
0: Hard to love in a way, I guess. Yeah, it's a movie that's like half it's about acidic. A, a drunk in a bed.
1: Yeah. He is in a bed for half the movie, yeah. mumbling at you know assistance, like his his sort of a, a little cadre of assistance. It is undynamic. Yeah. I cannot deny this. And a lot of the early part of the movie is about him just desperately trying to get some booze in his system.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mank. We're talking about the plot of mank now. Okay. Mank is about mank. I mean, it's a titular role. Yeah, it, let, me, um, let me proffer a theory. Is Throw
2: it out, is yeah. the movie has the movie been designed and shot in this fashion, which is to say, in black and white with yeah. mm-hmm. fake cigarette burns in the top right corner, and yep. all yep. of the kind of the cutting style of the era, the crunchy sounds, yes, the yeah. fade in, fade out, and the blending transitions, all that stuff that he's doing, is the point of that. To show that it's not just the glamour of Hollywood that can reveal something by being framed in this way, but actually like the gross, ugly weirdness of common life at this time that also reveals something by shooting the movie in this way. Or is it just Fincher Like, was like, I have a cool idea and I want to be able to have fun in this way technically. Like what is underpinning his decision to shoot it and make it look like this?
1: It's a good question. He obviously, as we said, always wanted to do this in black and white, but now it's being shot in this sort of unusual, like crisp digital black and white, right? But then with this sort of sound mix that sounds like a forties movie, mm-hmm. yes. This kind of echoey,
0: tinny, like dialogue in a good way, in a cool way, but also but it's jarring. The the framing and the editing rhythms of this film, even if the the sort of quality of the cinematography is too digital, yes. It, he is moving away from his traditional visual language. Yeah, it's like
1: fade out on a line. Like you know, you know, Mankel say something kind of wry, and then we like fade to black and fade yeah, up I, on like a flashback. it's also like these sort yeah. of
0: like sustained, deep focus. Well, so master shot sequences playing out. I talked about talked to Messer. So
1: Eric Messer Schmidt shot this movie, won an Oscar for it. Yeah, he had done Mind Hunter. It's the first time he's working with venture mm-hmm. film wise. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, I was just so... I'm looking at my notes. I actually found my notes of all these interviews. I don't want to do a noir movie. Because, like, that's not what Citizen Kane is. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's the that's the pitfall of every film... The cinematographer now doing black and white where they're doing right. noir photography. Like, it's all shadows. Yeah. And you're opening and closing the blinds or whatever. He's like, no, I want to do low to the ground, lots of deep focus, mm-hmm. evoking Citizen Kane. Like, yeah. you know, that's that's
0: our sort of... Concept and here. like semi theatrical blocking, yeah, right, right, but right. with the camera in mind,
1: yeah, uh, you know, not like big contrasts, like this isn't a gumshoe mystery, yeah. like I wanted, you know, like, like Thalberg, for example, he's kind of framed like a villain when he's at the desk, sure, but it's in a more old fashioned way, like not in like this sort of like, you know, he's casting a big shadow, he's like kind of Sydney Green Street or something, right. Uh, and they shoot in a modern aspect ratio, right? They don't shoot this in like Academy or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, yeah, like you said, it's a lot of you know big old fashioned wide
0: uh, photography. The camera does move more. I feel like. I mean, part of this for me is just like I, I, you know, and I I just rewatched uh, or watched the first M R K O two eight one as well. And you guys ask if that movie's good, and I'm like, it's watchable. It is, right. like, cinematically so kind of, like, point-and-shoot HBO movie. Uh, but it's, like, a compelling story, well-acted and all of that. And I do wonder if he took this script, this story, this material, and made it with more modern sensibilities, if it feels more rote. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. It, it would totally How much of wrote. it is thematic meaning of what's accomplished by him making this film in the style of the Hollywood uh, machinery of the era and how much of it is just, like... You need to filter it through something else to make it feel less conventional.
1: Fundamentally, it's set in, like, you know, a ranch and then, like, a bunch of backlots. Right. And then the Hearst Castle stuff is the most probably impressive
0: yes. visually, you know, but, like, and
1: it's a, there's not much
0: of that. It's a talkie movie, but a talkie movie without having the kind of, like, wildly entertaining dialogue of a social network. Um, Yeah. Right, with this more sort of like old fashioned. I, th- I think this. I think there's a lot of good I jokes. Think it's well written, but it's not as quippy a movie, especially for a movie about a guy who is quippy. He's got some quips. He's got some quips. Because the whole point of Mank is people like his quips. But like,
2: Social Network is shot like a like a courtroom thriller, right? You know, like yeah. he, yes, you know, a, a lot of his other films feature high stakes crime and murder. Um, and mm-hmm. when he does, when they don't, they often feature like elegant moments of. Beauty, like in Benjamin Button, like if he just shot Mank with a red camera in color, mm-hmm. would it be cinematic enough for him? Like, is this just a way to get him intellectually excited about actually shooting a script that doesn't have all the things that he usually needs to do the Fincher thing? and right. and is that is that a a strike against it? because like i'm i def- I would happily defend the way that it looks. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not bothered by the fact that it's like why digital photography attempting to Im- imitate a much more narrow 1940s movie, but I do know when people are like that didn't work for me. I'm I'm kind of I'm not going to argue with them. You know, if they just think yeah. that it looks weird, I, I
1: accept that. Here's a quote from Fincher about this very topic. This is interesting. He says, "I've always been in the mind that you bury your exposition, but my my dad loved movies from that period where." They talk in an expository way, mm-hmm. like, you know, in old fashioned movies. Like, you yeah, Mank, you know, this is Rita Alexander. She types 100 perfect words a minute, you know, takes dictation like a clairvoyant. Fincher's like, you need visual context for that to work. My way of thinking is there's no faster way to transport you to the 30s than using black and white. So I guess it's what you guys are saying. He knows this would just not work mm-hmm. in the same like, this would just not translate
0: uh, if it was, you know, shot like he shot frickin'. Whatever he did shoot it on a red camera, to be clear. I do think a lot of it comes down but to obviously. performance style, too, though, because I, I think th- the performances across the board in this movie are incredibly good and are a less awkward, uh, uh modern actors tried to evoke a different acting style thing. You know who rocks in this movie? Aunt Amanda Seyfried? Well, yes, she really does. Yeah. She really is
1: she, fantastic in this movie. Yeah, but do you know who else rocks? Who fucking tuppence? I love her. <sighs> She's so good. I love her. She's so good like why am i not getting five tuppences why am i not getting 10 pence a year a tuppence for my middle <laughs> yeah though. every freaking year i should have 10 tuppences five tupp, whatever yeah instead it's like she was in possessor in mank mm-hmm. since then the only thing she's been in is fucking downs and abbey too yeah but that was yeah. good
2: though i like that movie
1: it's another movie about making movies by the way i need to watch that movie i've only seen the trailer and the trailer is so good that i didn't like the movie can't top this
0: i need her in everything all the time
1: I really would love more Tuppence. Like, yeah. there's
0: no Tuppence going on. I, also, I heard I heard from someone that she's a big stop motion animation nerd. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So now you just want to marry Tuppence, I mean, is what you're saying.
1: Well, apparently she has a child with Swedish horror director Mans Marlin. Well, I can see it. So you're going to have to shove him out of the I'm way. I'm not
0: doing any such thing.
2: <laughs> can I have I respect Middleton. for the
0: family.
1: Can I just cite something before we get too far away from the black and white
2: thing? I don't know if you guys really Please. thought about this. I guess I hadn't either, but... Maestro, partially in black and white. Blonde, Yep, black and white. Mm. Passing in Malcolm and Marie, black and white. Roma, yeah, Rome, black of and course. white. Mank, yep. black and white. Not only is Netflix the place you go to for your script that nobody else wants to buy, but it's where you go when you want to make your black and white movie.
0: It's very true. That is wild. Yep. Especially when so much of studios' opposition to black and white movies was it doesn't play on TV. Yeah. Right. It doesn't sell well on VHS DVD, you know? Like, there was that thing uh, when um, Alexander Payne did uh, Nebraska, Mm -hmm. and they shot that movie in full color. Right. And then he regraded it to black and white because part of Paramount's deal was we need to be able to sell the color version of this movie in foreign territories.
1: Oh, I wonder what the color. I didn't know color version's like. That's interesting. It
0: aired. I I think maybe they didn't end up doing it, right. but they had contractually the option right. to do it. Right. And then at some point, maybe on Epics, they announced that they were playing the color version of Nebraska, and Alexander Payne heard about it and shut it down. Correct. Yes, that is true. But it was announced as airing at one point. Did you guys and see? And they' like Johnny Depp clips Black and picks you can see. No,
3: Ben. This is a Ben question. I. uh... I did not get a chance
1: to see that. Uh, it's uh, it's it's streaming now, right? I can watch it streaming. I believe it's on the Criterion Channel. I think that's yeah. right. Uh, I, th- I have seen Johnny Mnemonic several times in my life, so I've always been like, do I really need to? But everyone says it's better. It actually makes a difference. And really you can worked tell it was for me. Yeah, I thought it way, right? really yeah. played. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that is true. Like I also never saw Nightmare Alley in black and white, and yeah. that was a movie everyone really liked the black and white version. And I don't remember sure. really like why that was hitting for people. I never saw it. There is
0: something cool about modern sci-fi black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Versus yeah. like using black and white in this way to evoke like, a Ma- different era of film. But making.
1: of course, Nightmare Alley is like trying to probably, that probably is why it works in black and white. It's like, sure. yeah, I'm in the past. I feel like I'm in the past more. Yeah. You know, the, you
0: know, But that, But that movie has wildly different performance styles in it. Right? Yeah. I think Mink does like everyone across the board. Because you have, like, Seyfried playing Marion Davies, where it's like, well, she has to evoke a star we know. Sure. Had a specific energy and voice. Um, but Mank is, like, Oldman is playing Mank like the 40s movie character version of Mank.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: The old curmudgeon. Right. Mank. You know, he's always shuffling
0: around. I don't know if that performance works in color. Maybe not. Like, that might be just the simplest reason for this movie to be shot in black and white. It's clearly, I do think it's kind of the right
1: call. Um, But uh, I think the thing that really freaked people out more is the sound. I honestly, because this movie is mostly dubbed Mm -hmm. because they're doing that kind of old-fashioned, you know, like, let's have someone, like, do the lines later, you Mm -hmm. know, and we'll dub it over just to sort of summon that spirit of like the old talkies and i think people are watching this movie and like it sounds off to me wrong.
0: yeah and where you know it's it's crazy i love it but it's crazy but how much of that is a streaming issue versus like if you see that in a theater you probably quickly accept it as intentional whereas if you're watching a movie on netflix you're living with that fear of like are my settings wrong look is my wi-fi being throttled like ren kleiss i talked to the sound mixer you know, a, a legend
1: of Skywalker sound or mm-hmm. whatever. And, you know, he said, David, like, you know, this, the, the, we, we put all these hisses and crackles and pops, and it sounds so cool in a giant theater. Like the idea is yeah. you're seeing it in a giant old movie hall with like the sort of booming echo, mm-hmm. you know, we designed movie theaters not to have an echo now, but they used to be built for performance and they would have these crazy acoustics. And like, we wanted to kind of evoke that. Um the uh they had a giant music scoring room in Skywalker and they would like project the movie and set up microphones and record the echo and then mix it into the movie. They
0: filmed this movie in nineteen uh or eighteen. Nineteen. Okay. Twenty nineteen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because all of post-production was done during COVID. Right. Like and the score was recorded during COVID. Each um uh musician individually recorded their part in their house with a microphone they were sent, and then Reznor and Ross put it all together. Isn't that insane? It's impressive. I do hate thinking about it. Uh, yeah, but it's also kind of cool that they were like, let's... And also, of course, Reznor and Ross write this, like, 40s-style, right. old-school, H- Edward
0: Herman score. Only use period-appropriate instruments. That's, right. that's, yeah. the,
2: that's actually the number one reason I'm sad I never saw it in theaters, is I think this is, yeah. like, among their best scores. It's obviously, like, a self-conscious recreation of something, but to just it's be really like, yeah, I'm cool. doing Max Steiner, I'm doing Nicholas Rosa, like, that's insane that they could recreate that. And that score really... Like, it plays, if you listen to it on Spotify, it's
0: beautiful.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I interviewed the two of them. They were the people I was the most scared to interview. Trent Reznor was, I was so scared to interview him.
0: Well, he has nine-inch nails. Those are sharp.
1: (laughs) And Atticus Ross. And if he pushes them
0: into you, there's a lot of depth
1: to which they can go. They were both on the call, but they were in different places. And Trent Reznor's like, hello, this is Trent Reznor. And Atticus (laughs) Ross is like, hey, David, this is Atticus. How you doing, mate? I'm in London. Are you in New York? You know, he's like the opposite. Like, so clearly they are some kind of like. Was he doing the bit? (laughs) Yeah, he was doing the bit Um, So clearly Atticus is the fun one And Trent is the serious one Should we uh, attempt to go through the plot of this movie? So I told you, um, it's about Mink Okay, well, we wrapped it up (laughs) No, okay, what's the plot of this movie? It's a bifurcated plot Yes There is Mink in 1940 in Victorville, California Uh Uh-huh in a near little the ranch house, recovering from a car crash that happens near the start of the movie, mm-hmm. writing a screenplay for Orson Welles about William Randolph Hearst. Yes, and then there is sort of Mink throughout the 30s, his developed relation, developing relationship with Hearst as the 34 California gubernatorial election happens, mm-hmm. uh, in which Upton Sinclair ran as a socialist, and you know the studios united behind the Republican. Right? Yes. Am I missing anything?
0: No. Like those are the two plots, right? Um, in in the uh, what's it called the battle over Citizen Kane. Yes. Uh, there's there's a quote they cite, which is uh, someone someone interviewing him, profiling him, whatever. Uh, or maybe it was off the record. Uh, in a personal anecdote related later, um, asked him why he chose to William Randolph Hearst, why he chose to go into journalism rather than build. A movie studio, sure, used popular entertainment to win his battles, right? And his line apparently was, "You can't destroy another man's reputation with a movie," sure, which is really interesting. Very
1: ironic, given that Citizen Kane successfully destroyed his reputation, exactly, right? Like, yes, we can all agree. Yes, this like Mank is sees himself tilting as a windmill here, right? And what he doesn't realize is, like, they know they will actually kick this guy when he's down and blow up his, like, reputation for forever. Inextricably tied forever. Yes, right? Yes. We, can we deny this? No. If you guys could mank someone, would you
0: do it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But wait. I, I would not hesitate. Are that. we
1: talking about, like, someone who, like, stiffed me out of 50 bucks? Yeah, or are we whatever. talking
0: about, like,
1: Elon Musk? I think you, you have, know, have to mank like, responsibly. Like, it's probably, it's, it might be hard to mank someone now. Right? Like if someone tried to write a movie about Elon Musk being crazy, there would be some inexplicable amount of people who would be like,
0: I love that about him. (laughs) Can I make a pitch? It's great. Can I make a pitch? You're only making me like him more. What's your pitch? 40 years from now, I want someone to make Sork. About Sorkin? The film about Fincher hiring Sorkin to take down Zuckerberg. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's a great call. And it's him just like eating shrooms. Right.
1: It's Sorkin just laid up in bed. Yeah. Biting on meth rocks. Right. Like, and and, fabricating conversations that never happened in an effort. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Being like, Zuckerberg had an ex girlfriend. And Venture's like, what are you talking about, Sork? You're crazy. And then
0: they're flashbacks, and you realize that Sorkin had an ex girlfriend. (laughs) That's the big (laughs) twist. Wait, Aaron Sorkin had an ex girlfriend? He was the one with an ex.
2: This is so, that is legitimately a good idea that could happen in thirty years.
0: Thank you, thank you. Like a hundred percent, it hit me yesterday, and I was like, "That would be a compelling movie if you gave it forty years." Sorkin is a great dramatic figure to center a movie around, and Fincher is a good foil in the shadows. Yeah, and and then Zuckerberg. It's like, of course, right? Someone will finally win the Oscar for playing Zuckerberg forty years from now. I guess so. If movies still exist,
1: they definitely
0: they're going better than ever. Okay.
1: Come on, Mank. You're not going to lure me into that
2: trap. Movies we're,
1: we're we're kicking ass right now with movies.
2: We're kicking ass. Yeah.
0: We're so
1: back. And Mank is why. Mank, so Mank is um he's in All right. Well, which should we just ta- like should we tackle the the flashback plots earlier? I mean, first or, you know, we you know, are we hopping between here. What do we think? It's of?
2: hard cuz it is it is kind of four narratives colliding at once. What's the most what's the it's, most interesting aspect of it to you? Is it the writing of the screenplay? Is it the the gubernatorial no. race and the way that MGM works?
1: No. Is it Marion Marion Davies? It's is it mo- what like what is it? It's more the way that MGM works and the way his relationship with Hearst works. Like to me the the tragedy and the fascination with which like my general fascination with the 30s and Hollywood where all these pros mm-hmm. and artists
0: mm-hmm.
1: who are to be fair drunk off their ass, are flying into Hollywood and writing fucking
0: Frankenstein movies and shit. Right. You know, in this, like, brand new media. We're prostituting ourselves to get rich. Right. With how they themselves thought of it. But then they
1: all, or at least some, including Mank, will occasionally, like, flirt with, like, can I make great art here? For sure. Like, is it possible to squeeze it both through this
0: medium and through this business? Yeah. Also, Frankenstein movies fucking roll. That's what I'm
3: saying.
1: Yeah. Like, and that's what that early scene where they're like pitching ideas, I feel like, is about. Right. Mm-hmm. But then, and it's like, he becomes friends with Hearst. I would too. Yeah. Like, oh, this like sort of fancy, powerful man wants me to come to his parties and kind of be a little, you know, a little fucker. If like, you're a sure. guy
0: like Mink who's like fascinated by people right right and great dramatic figures you're like how are you not going to spend as much time as you can in this guy's orbit just to study right and then whether or not it results in the greatest screenplay ever written or not
1: like just the sort of like slow poison that's happening to mank 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 mank, mank. 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 i just can't stop saying his is it
0: name. the most fun uh, movie
1: title to say
2: Remember that
0: trailer that was just everyone going, Mank! Mank! (laughs) And we were all like, this is gonna cure COVID. Um, Would this movie have a better reputation if the title had an exclamation point? Mank! Definitely. Mother style? (laughs) Like, lowercase He's going for... Lowercase m. Capital... Bold exclamation. uh, Underlined italicized. Capital K.
3: Yeah,
0: Mank! Mank! It's got it up. Yeah. Uh, That, that, like,
1: He's going from, oh, I'm inured to this. I'm a cynic. Yeah. They can't fucking get me. Hollywood is terrible. I don't
3: even care at all. Right.
1: To the end of him being like, my friends are dying. Yeah. Like, this business is actively, like, keeping, you know, like, sort of good politics out of this country. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm at the beck and call of capitalist freak pigs. Mm -hmm. And I'm just their little plaything. You know, watching that whole arc is so fascinating to me. And I think Oldman plays it really well. Like the sort yeah. of like the the way his little deflections get less and less sort of effective, you know, as as it's wearing on him.
0: Now to answer your question. The whole thing what's the guy called? The the newsreel
1: guy? The, the oh. Shelley. An invented character. Yes. Shelly. Uh Shelly. Yeah. You know, the whole way he's handling that where you can tell like Mank immediately knows, like he's trying to be like, I'll get him. it's fine, you know. Like, but mm-hmm. he knows like this is like this is brutal like this you know this guy made a movie because he wanted to make a movie and then he read in the papers like
0: Upton Sinclair being like these movies fuck my fucking candidacy now to answer your question I think that him writing the movie is the least interesting part of the film a little bit a lot of that is because they present it as Orson Balls being pretty fucking checked out and then at some point just taking what was handed to him and turning it into something else sure. right right whereas whether correct or not RKO 281 makes it more of an active process uh-huh And most of the times we're going back to man quote unquote writing, it's him in bed begging for alcohol, answering phone calls and saying, I'll fucking get to it. Right. You know, people being like, you owe us 40 pages and he's like, you'll get them when you get them until it's finally come out of his system.
1: Yeah, when people are like reading it and being like, it's pretty weird dude, are you sure about this? And he's
0: like, I don't know. And also like, don't shoot yourself in the foot like this. What about Lily Collins? She's so charming. I mean, I see. I'm a. Sucker this stuff for that. doesn't totally work for I'm me. I'm a
1: sucker for the plucky assistant, and I like, usually am. And her kind of being like, "I won't let your cynicism get to me." Like, you know, I'm rooting for my husband in the war, and like, what we're doing here is important. Mm-hmm. And he's like turned into like the jab of the hut of cynicism. He's just like laid up in bed like constantly in triple chin pose, sure. right? You know, like sort of horizontal,
0: like looking this way. He's trying to convince her to convert her into being his salacious crumb. Right. Cause sitting on his tail. Right,
1: because he's literally just like, and then, you know, Kane does this and he's filled with bitter regret and she's like writing it all down. Yeah. Uh, I, I like their dynamic. Okay. Yeah. Sean, where are you on Lily?
2: She's, I, I think she can be quite charming as a, as an actor. Um, Agreed. I just think that that. Yes. that st- frame of the movie is just the device and it's yeah. not yeah the movie is so alive when it is multiple people in rooms particularly at hearst parties talking at each other you can really yeah. feel fincher excited about making something like that energetic and interesting or the you know so the writers where or whatever that's the stuff i love
0: yeah yes. me too yeah, i mean that's the best stuff right i like, like the stuff know. in the machinery yeah. uh, of of hollywood development and i like I, I like all the Hearst and Davies stuff. Charles Dance, so great.
1: Yeah. So charming to see Fincher work with Dance after how many years had it had been? 22nd, 27. Yeah, like almost yeah. 30 years. Yeah. And does the dance again. Mm-hmm. At this point, Dance has become famous to a new generation because of like Game of Thrones and shit. Yeah. Uh, doing a great American, you know, like sort of rich guy accent, I think. Yeah. He's yeah. really good. He's really good. I love that, like, there's never really a crack in his facade. Like, you never see him turn into citizen, into fucking Charles Foster Kane. Right. You know, this like thundering kind of egotist. Like, he feels bulletproof. Yes. Like, anytime, even when Mank is like, you know, prattling on it. Like,
0: Cromwell plays him in, in the RKO movie. James Cromwell? Yes. Sure. And plays him a little more. He he plays up the like sad vulnerability that he's hiding. Right, right. He kind of brings that to the forefront. Whereas that, dance is just playing the kind of public perception. Right. All of that in
1: this movie comes through. Mary. Right. It's Marion who is the one who's being like, "This is a person." Like yes. you know, and he, I, I've come to realize he's a person.
2: I I love Marion Davies the the portrayal of her in this movie. It feels like it's happening in a different movie, but a movie I like about a what a young woman teaches an old man, and there are very few. Mank gets to talk to women in this movie and nobody else does, which is a very interesting decision. Where he is right. talking to Lily Collins, he's talking to his wife, played by Tobbins Middleton, he's talking to Poor Sarah. uh Poor Amanda Seifrid. He's and he had even though he is this rumpled alcoholic with a bad attitude, you know, he is given this kind of like narrative treatment, this warmth. That was granted to him. That may or may not be factually accurate, I don't really know, but it's a it's a, it's the constant reminder that he is our hero. You know, that women are yes. interested in him and they they feel for him and with him in an interesting way.
0: Well, it's that sort of thing of like he's he's such a a beaten down uh, uh, cynic because of a, an overabundance of empathy, right? Like, the feeling is, it's not that this guy doesn't give a shit, it's that he actually, like, is capable of caring too deeply where he's built this defensive wall of, like, fuck you all.
1: Did you What are that, you laughing at? Did you know that so Mank didn't do Westerns? Sure. And apparently, at one point, the studio, a studio tried to punish him and assigned him a Rin Tin Tin movie. Funny. And he turned in a script that began with a dog frightened by a mouse and had the climax of a house on fire. And the dog took a baby into the house on fire. This is good. <laughs> like, he really does seem
0: like he was the most amazing pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> Owns Rent and Ten. Like, where is that IPP sitting right now? IPP, IPP, Rent and Ten
1: IPP. So the Rent and Ten movies were Warner Brothers. Okay. So I have to imagine they they hold on to those rights. Is Todd Phillips going to reboot Rent <laughs> <laughs> Todd Phillips, Phillips. <laughs> Oh boy, Rinton. Rinton's kinda of, he's like a German Shepherd, right? Like yeah. he, that's like a real like active dog. He's yeah. he's doing no, stuff. he does shit. Yeah. Right. right. What is a non active dog franchise? Well, like he's not like some cute little he's not a Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Oh. Like but, you know, Rinton is hefty.
0: What do you want to say about the Beverly Hills? Well, so Hills when you're Chihuahua. saying active, you really just mean the physical I build mean, of the dog. I don't
1: know. He can like drag things around. I don't know what Rinton does. I think he's he safe. Yeah. Saves people. Fine.
0: Saves cinema. <laughs> I guess so. Kept Fine. theaters open during the Great Depression. Did he? Is that yeah, true? I think it was, he he was, was like, the big biggest one? fucking. Susan Orlean wrote a whole book on Rin 10, basically like he was the fucking uh, Jacob Tremblay of his day. Show some respect. keeping <laughs> the mid budget movie alive on his shoulders. You guys should <sighs> do a Rin Tin Ten series. We should. Oh, David, sh- that's probably a quick 27 movies.
1: Uh, Rin Tin, Tin died in 1932. Then Rinton. Alcoholism. T- yeah. Rinton. Yeah. He, he, he drove his car into the Alley River. Yeah, like symptoms.
0: <laughs> He's kind of an early-onset mank.
1: <laughs> Rin Tin, Tin Jr. was seen as not as talented as his father. Nepo Tin the no, third mostly did war movies. Okay. And then they did have Rin Tin Tin IV, but they, he really blew the screen test and was replaced by a different dog called Flame. That sucks. That's <laughs>
0: pretty <laughs> good. Sucks
1: for them, though. Yeah. So all of the Rin Tin, Tin Nepo Babies failed to live up? Yeah, none of them could be as good as the Rin Nepo Tin Nepo Doggies.
2: Wow. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. Who knew about the Rintintin Tin? Like, there was no
0: Rintintin Tin David Washington who actually kind of carved his own way. But imagine if they did like a Lego sequel now. That's
3: what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> I'm astounded it isn't happening. Um, Zaslov must have like 40 writers in a room chained to desk trying to crack Rintin Tin. Do you guys know the story um, of
2: Rintintin Tin? He was rescued from a World War I battlefield by an American he soldier. Sure was.
0: Jesus. Called him Rinty.
2: My goodness.
0: Right. That's he was cool. like, yeah, that, that talk about a screen test. Was he in he, Wonder he, Woman? Was he in that scene yes, he he was was in Wonder, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman Wonder. when yeah. she was a character? He's in, he's in Wonder Woman. He's part of the squad. Yeah. He's part
1: wow. of,
2: you know. Ewan you
0: Bremner plays Rinton 10. They just changed the character a little bit. <laughs> there was another dog called Strongheart who was also really popular. Both of these okay. were
1: German Shepherds and they made German Shepherds really popular in America. Okay. Like they made, made the breed popular. But was he sort of like the Steven Sickle? Of- <laughs> no, no. I think Strongheart was kind of like the, you know fucking, who's like, you know, he's the Buster Keaton and Rin Tin, Tin is the Charlie Chaplin. Okay. Like, okay. He's the earlier.
2: Can I provide yeah, more. a real segue here? Please. So I grew up with a German Shepherd. That was the, do- my our family dog was a German Shepherd. No lie. Hell yeah. What? This dog's name was Kane. K-A-N-E. Wow. Really?
1: Was he named after Citizen Kane? I highly doubt it.
2: <laughs> I, Why was he called Kane? I genuinely don't know. My dad named him Kane. Was he Kane. named after the wrestler? Um, no, not because he predates the wrestler. Um, although, is the wrestler <laughs> named chain? after Citizen Kane? That's a, a good
1: lady. question. Who is the wrestler named after? Uh, apparently, he initially was Is it just a riff on uh, Kane called... and Abel? Because of the two Holy brothers, shit. The Undertaker and Kane? Did you know that his original character, the 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 man's name is Glenn Jacobs, mm-hmm. uh, was a Christmas-themed monster called the Christmas Creature, who wore a garish costume featuring a green mask, candy cane, striped sleeves, and tinsels? Hmm, that is good. Uh, and then he was called Bruiser Mastino, uh, and then he was called Doomsday. That's pretty cool. Okay. And then he was called, oh, boy, Unabomb. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Well, he, it's a real mid His next man. one is,
2: is is legendary, though.
1: Uh, Mike Unabomb, uh, after that. Uh, Isaac Yank was, Isaac Yankin DDS, where he played uh, an evil dentist. What? Man, the wrestling is so insane. <laughs> uh, I still don't. Emergence of Kane, 1997, meticulously built up. Uh, by the WWE is a horror themed juggernaut, and that's
0: basically the beginning of the cane we know today.
1: Yeah. So my guess is it is kind of a reference to like the biblical character of Cain. Just but it spelled also feels like it,
0: it has some root in the candy cane.
1: If but, he starts, you know, well, as maybe a that's guy. true. But I think because like because the idea is he is the Undertaker's like long lost brother who died in a fire, right, and has emerged. Yeah. I do see him. Is maybe he's kind of a Cain and Abel thing?
0: Yeah. Sure. Um, Not a
2: Mank-like homage, unfortunately, in the
0: WWE. Someone should know. Fincher should make a movie about Kane. Yeah. Also, WWE should introduce a wrestler named Mank. <laughs> um <laughs> there there is a detail in uh the RKO movie. Uh I have no idea if this has any basis in reality, but I feel like it needs to be shared on this podcast. Um there there there's a scene where like Leah Schreiber as Wells is like, come on, I need a subject for my movie. Mank, come up with something. Right. And then, like, he finds out that Mank had this whole history with Hearst and Davies and was like, wait, you know them? Uh Uh-huh. So you have all this intel? And he's like, yeah, and I wrote a whole novel about him. I never published it anyway. Hmm. He hands the book to Wells, and Wells is, like, reading this book Uh Uh-huh. about Hearst. Okay. And there's an exchange where he's like, wait a second. He called it Rosebud? And Mank is like, yeah, but uh-huh. you can't put that in the movie, okay. Wells. You can't have characters in the movie talking about what a guy calls a woman's pussy.
1: Right. And now this movie explicitly states that that's not true. Yes. They, they actually call that out. Yes. Uh, And Mank's like, I never heard that before. I like, would have used it if I knew. In that like, conversation with his brother, yeah. With Joe,
0: yeah. Do you think that's just directly responding to a 20 year old HBO TV movie, or is that like a more popular theory that I didn't know needed to be? Oh, that's a really popular theory. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really famous. Okay. It's, uh, you know, you know. And then when the Sopranos watch Citizen Kane. Uh huh one of the best scenes in the history of this is all the girls watches and Kane in their movie club mm-hmm. the lights come up and one of them's like so is a sled and then uh is it is it Ida Taturu uh, you know yeah, Janice um, Yeah, uh Janice yeah. says about Bobby Bacala that she never found his rose her, he he never found her rosebud sure and they yeah. make fun of uncle June for going sledding <laughs> <laughs>
0: do you know uncle June sleds
1: but no this movie I only sled on your birthday this movie does kind of poke at that like odd dynamic of Mank writing this movie that is an in, you know a screed against Kane I mean sure. against Hearst, but that makes Marion Davis look like this like awful you know hanger on that Which was only propped up by him and has to say it's not his reflection of her yeah and he's he's really this man clearly feels character. bad about it now yeah. do you, we think that's mostly dramatic license for the movie like just you know to add to the sort of weird tragedy of it or do we think that's true Or, like, just sort of the idea of, like, when you make a movie, you kind of lean into archetypes and, like, it'll end up burning people. It's what helps the story. Right. But if you're making it about real people. And this movie leans into archetypes about everybody.
0: I don't know. This is the thing with this movie is I watch it and I'm just like, I have no idea what I think actually happened. Sure. Right. You know? Yeah. It doesn't sway me in any direction. I think some people, like, got angry by this movie and, as you said, dug their heels in and wanted to, like, push back against it. I don't know how many people this movie convinced. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, not that the movie was even trying to convince anyone of anything, uh. But I just like, I I almost watched this movie and go like, I don't know. I guess we'll never know. Uh, yeah, which is fair.
3: I don't
2: really feel like that's the point of the movie though. Right. No. And I, I I don't. I was always confused why people got so hung up on that and kind of who was responsible and not responsible. Obviously, the film ends at a moment before production begins, and so it elides like a critical question, which is like you know Wells modernized how. Filmmaking operated. And we don't see that in the movie. It's not about that. But it is about a guy who's stuck between the polarity of his own brain. You know? He's like, I'm an embittered cynic, but also, I think I can make a change in the world if I create something. And, I don't know, I just find that, like, tremendously fascinating for Fincher to want to dig into. The fact that he sees Mank as this portal for like, I'm a right. you know fucking scumbag who made seven, and also I'm a really sincere person who believes in the artistry of filmmaking and how it can change people's lives. And he's always talks about, as I'm sure you guys have mentioned many times, like the perversion of American life and what we're interested right. in, and the prurience. But also, he made Ben Benjamin Button. You know, like that he is he's mank I, that, I, That's how I always saw the movie.
0: Benjamin Button is mank. Benjamin Button is man. The twist at the end of Benjamin Button is that he was mank all over. There's
1: definitely a moment in Benjamin Button's
0: adolescence where he gets pretty manky, I would say. Right. Right? He's
1: about 14.
0: I'm seven, but I look a lot older. (laughs) Pukes during dinner on the floor. That scene is great. Him just walking into the whatever it is, the circus-themed party and just ranting for 10 minutes and then spewing everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's
1: really good. yeah. And it's like, that's the moment, right? You know, that's the culmination of post-governatorial race mm-hmm. where he's like, I didn't make the stand, right? I didn't use my ability to change things in any way, right? I just kind of waved it all off as like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Hollywood's in charge, And sure. I felt
0: prey into like, Mink, fuck up self-destructive right. shit where everyone could kind of write me off of like, that guy's just a mess. And he now just says
1: shit. I'm the fucking organ Grinders monkey, right? Now right. I'm realizing like I'm the mascot for these freaks who are like toasting in their castle. Yeah. Um, And uh, the other scene I think is really good is, know, that's spurring him yes. on a few years later. Isn't
2: that also about
1: Fincher and Netflix though? Isn't that also what that team is total kind of about? Well, so we, all of the meta stuff here, right? We yes. have to, we, at least we have to engage with
0: it. Right. Because to Um, some degree, the rise of Netflix, like he took the easy money from Netflix, right? He took the bigger number to have House of Cards land over there. Yeah. And then in the process, he watched like the studios and HBO turn their back on him. And like the entire type of thing he wanted to do, kind of falls prey to what Netflix is doing, and the studios limiting what they do in reaction to that. But
1: I, not that I, Fincher is like an apolitical filmmaker. But I don't think of him as a pointed political filmmaker at all. No, right? Like, and I have no sort of notion of what Fincher's, you know, sort of politics or beliefs really are. Right? I, I, have, no, I have. I have some think- readings. Go please. Moment, he
2: just commented on the wga strike in a way that i think upset some people because he kind of tried to I, both sides it a little bit and
1: yeah i, think that, I felt a little bit like he was just kind of giving a non-answer there and people leapt on it because it was a very charged moment i think you're yeah. right he had that tossed off line of kind of like yeah i can see both sides of it or whatever right yeah that people were upset i about think but that. i think that that indicated like
2: one of two things Want, I think your, your reading of it is right, which is he was trying to not like say anything too crazy in the moment, and that actually worked against him. But I think he right. was also... Especially it came, in interviews, came off
1: too
0: equivocal. Especially right. in interviews, I feel like he often likes to say, come up with the funny quick line. Totally. But, yes. but I think he was the trying to, to equivocate like a
2: kind of like Gen X rebellious kind of point of view, which is like, I don't, you know, very groucho. Like, I don't need to be like throwing myself at the WGA here in the same way that I don't have to throw myself at the studio. Like, I, you know, I've seen both sides and I'm trying to... You know, hopefully this works out, but it doesn't benefit me to have some openly liberal or openly conservative point of view on anything that is happening in the world, because that would jeopardize my ability to seem mysterious and or an independent person. And yeah. this, Mank is kind of the same way. Mank is kind of like vacillating between those two poles throughout the movie, where on one hand, he's like, wow, Upton Sinclair, he's incredibly important. But also, I love drinking at Hearst Castle. That's an awesome time.
0: Right, I think Fincher also fundamentally is, like, distrusting of most people's motivations on all sides, right? Definitely. Like, he's so obsessed with—I mean, he always—there's uh, the line of, as I always think about, that, like, he thinks people mainly use dialogue to—human uh, um, beings mostly use words to lie. Right. Right? That he's like, the way I approach dialogue isn't that it is revealing information— it is revealing character and what they choose to say versus what they're doing or how they justify what they're doing. Uh, and I think that is something he feels pretty apolitically on all sides. That having been said, there is such a strong through line in all of his films of this, like, distaste of old money and old institutions. Right. And always having a little more respect for the people pissing on the side of the castle, you know? Mm-hmm. Yet, he understands that there's, like, some cycle that needs to exist with both things in dialogue with each other you know and like Mank is one of these guys it's it's part of like he has chosen an art form that is incredibly expensive and requires a lot of infrastructure people and, and a lot are, of people yeah. and he like has to get in bed with shit right sure. and there's also this technical disruptor side of him where he is like I have no preciousness about film let's embrace digital all this shit right where I'm sure there's a part of him that loves like yeah fuck you I put my show on Netflix I'm doing shit on Netflix and he thinks that Netflix are like the rebels throwing stones at the old castle. And then within ten years it's like, oh, Netflix is now they're, peak they're MGM. A right. Right. Yeah. And,
1: and and they are so that fucking Louis Mayer line of like this is the only business where we get to sell people something we already own and we don't get we don't have to give a thing to them
0: and I think the other big scene is Louis B. Mayer making the speech asking everyone to take the half pay cut which is a real thing that happened right and you hear people a couple people call out like well of course the movie stars can make the pay cut but what about the grips and the electricians and whatever and they just quickly get drowned out by other stars in the MGM state like I'll help you Louis right yeah until everyone is overwhelmed by the magic of the movies basically and breaks out in applause and then like an an hour later joe Minkwitz is like he never gave us the money back right like, which he claimed he
1: would right and, and herman again has to be like eh, but that
3: was that's in do? part why
1: i thought of his
2: the fincher comments recently because i'm like this movie is about the writer's guild of america like <laughs> this movie yes
1: and like he's thought about this very, a lot is my point yes and like i'm reading my interview with him uh not again not to brag i'm just i hadn't checked in a long time i point out to him And I think this is intentional, but he Mm -hmm. was like, oh, I don't think so. The movies, you know, and this is, look, lots of movie makers have made their movie about movies, Mm -hmm. right? And this is his. Mm -hmm. It's funny that this is his. Yes. Like, that after all these years, he's like, I'll make a movie about Hollywood. It's about this embittered drunk who got fucked by the industry (laughs) until he, like, retreated and, like, wrote this screed. Some annoying
0: director who took credit for it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, But I'm like, the movie is, you know, we have this crane down, you know, the back lot. There's Uh animals walking around. There's people in fucking gladiator costumes or whatever. You're like, oh, the magic movie cut to a bathroom. A guy sits down <laughs> in a toilet and drops his pants. Yes. And, like, that's where the writers all are in the shitter. Yeah. And then later in, like, you know, this smoky room with, like, the, the naked woman taking, you know, it's like, this is where all the stuff is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Like, magic of the movie's my eye. Like, there's no magic of the movies in this. No. Like, when they're filming that scene later where Marion's on the bonfire. Yeah. And then you cut to like Louis Mayer in the tent, and he's like, "There's smoke in his face," and he's like, Ugh! "You know, like, you're, like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care about that."
0: No, uh, a Babylon a movie. All three of us. We defend, all love Babylon, yes, and and is also a pretty dark, cynical movie. Has far more magic the movie shit in it than this. I think the thing with
1: Babylon, and then Sean, you should definitely remark on Babylon because I know you're a fan. Go off on like, Babylon. Babylon Highs is like high fries. Chazelle is like. I love this stuff so much. Yeah. It's so magical
0: to me. Right. But I know it was made in this like pit of evil. And it's like always been evil. Right. There's maybe something innately exploitative and inhumane about But he can't help but being movie like
1: fucking Terminator's
0: so good though, bro. Yeah. Like, you know, at the end.
1: Avatar. <laughs> yes. yes.
2: I feel it. Sean. Well, your this movie is a good counterweight to that movie, not just because there's a, there's a lot more sweetness at the end of Babylon with the reflective mm-hmm. moment that that the character has at the end, but I think that both of those movies are about the people who are effectively in decision-making roles in Hollywood are scum. Mm -hmm. Like, they are, even Irving Thalberg, who is, you know, remembered very fondly historically because he was associated and produced so many great movies. You know, like you said before, David, like, he's portrayed as a villain in this movie. And Mayer is deplorable. I mean, he is, like, uh really scum of the earth, the way that he's characterized. Whether it's, like, disregarding the rise of Nazism, whether it's, you know, just having disrespect for the artists and, you know, like, fighting with... Who is he, who is he meant to be fighting with? Is it, it's not Errol Flynn, but it's someone at the beginning of the movie um, when, he, when Joe first meets him and they go on that walk. Uh, Isn't
1: Charlie Chaplin a character? It might have been Charlie Chaplin. Uh, it is a character with I a I think mustache. it's Chaplin. There's a lot of, you know, cameos from, you know, of real people type but uh, in the background but like of all
2: morning. of those guys and just just like the you know the executive figures in Babylon these are the bad guys you know these are not yeah. the creative people these are the people who ask you to take a pay cut and then don't you know repay you these are the people who manipulate and, and, creative and people
1: people like falberg obviously are like lionized as geniuses and right. they were obviously smart and calculating people like it's not like i'm like falberg with some
0: hack like yeah. but like they, you know, they were, you know, standing atop a mountain of people. And this is an industry that has always and perhaps always will treat the people who work within it as machinery. Right. There's this
1: line that Fincher had to me, like, where it's like, you know, the idea of credit, right? Because, like, that's what Mank fights for. He wants credit, Mm -hmm. which is something he's never wanted before. And so there's sort of something interesting about that. Um, is, like, he calls it, credit is, um, the distilled version of importance. The notion of importance is a 10-pound bushel of amoebas Mm -hmm. that you can't get your hand on. I just like that phrase, amoebas. But he's like, credit is, like, the only way in Hollywood that you actually get to, like, you know, to be acknowledged as the maker of something that mattered, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you can actually, like, get your name up on the wall. Yeah, sure, Pauline Kael wrote a big book about Mank later. Being like, you don't know it, but this guy wrote twenty movies you love. Mm-hmm. Like, but like, no one knows who Mank is. Well, now they do. Well, now they do because
0: of Netflix. Yeah, Mank, America's favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, how many people watched Mank? I mean, this is the question. I
1: I understand that, of course, we don't know the answer to that. Right. I don't think very. But many. like, would more have watched it in the theater? No. I don't. Know. I'm sure that it be on Netflix when it was on Netflix, did draw eyes to at least the first twenty minutes
0: of Mank. Right. Probably before people That's my out. Like have like twenty thousand <laughs> people watch Mank in full. Ben, did you watch Mank? I did, yes. What do you think
1: of Mank? Mank Manc is fun. You like oh, Mank. Ben
3: loves Mank. I like Mank a lot. I like I like seeing people talk all timey. <laughs> Okay. Well, then this is a movie for me. I like a, a, a ding-a-ding-ding-dong, you know? Uh-huh. I like that repartee. It's yeah, fun. Sure. I mean, what else? Uh, I love seeing a drunk guy just pop off on some rich people. Uh-huh, no shortage of that. yeah got that. Yep. I mean, and they all are dressed so ridiculously,
0: too. hmm Okay, all true makes uh, makes good for all of this. You don't see drunks in waistcoats that much anymore. You don't. Rarely, it's one or the other. You dress nice or Imagine you have a good time. Being that stinky a drunk and then yes. having to put on a
1: three piece suit every day to like walk a around. <laughs> three piece <laughs> suit, California. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't fit. By the in, way, like the we, we, the only air conditioning was a fan. Yes, like they had like one wooden fan.
0: Yes. He's such a clammy-looking man throughout Which, this entire film. I think is the genius of casting someone older. Is
1: yeah. like he just feels like the industry is like seeping in, out of his pores. Yeah. yeah. But if you look
2: at pictures of the real Mank, like it, it's not like he actually looked like Tom Cruise. I mean, he did. He he no. did. Look, he looked I, old for a man in his forties. He looked quite old.
0: City miles. Yeah.
1: He had he had more than city miles. He yeah. He had highway miles. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he how, had state the,
0: miles. Like look at this guy. Yeah. I mean that guy does not. And what, that's that's his high school graduation photo you're showing? <laughs> <funny. laughs> oh. Poor Mank. We'll post it, we'll post it, it we'll post it. I
1: mean, it is funny that his brother, who was, you know, sort of similar looking in a way, yeah, but kind like of a, a, a little more dynamic, right,
0: Yeah, has this, like, long career way after Mank dies. Yes. I don't know how he lived so long. He lived until the fucking 90s. And, like, really knows how to exist within the Hollywood system without going crazy. I do like that his brother is played by... A, you know, Tom Pelfrey, who is
1: really cute and yeah. is 20 years younger than Gary Oldman. Yes. Like, I, which I don't think Joe Mankowitz was. Well, let's let's look it up. He certainly lived a lot longer. 12 years younger. Man,
3: I love to also hear uh, all the old slang. Okay. There's some, just some great well, quotes, Can
0: we man. talk nerds for a second? Please? Yeah. Please. We should be saying that all the time. And I know you've done your part, David. I know you try to say it whenever ah, you can. nerds.
3: Yeah. I wrote down. Uh, I've been a little sixes and sevens recently. Yep. Come on, a great one, fun. Yeah, there's also the funny moment where they're uh, pitching Frankenstein, and they go out on. Maybe you should show movies in the streets, and it's kind of like a joke right. of like, how do you get like an audience to show up? Yeah. Anyway, I
0: love this era. Uh, how how drink was used. Okay. Of like the man's a demon to drink. Okay. He's been known to get caught up in drink. Right. What's the um I you don't like... say drunk. You don't say he's he drinks right. a lot. We like the um the true grit line. He loves to pull the cork. He loves to pull the cork. Do you That's remember that one? One Sean? of my favorite things. It's a good one. Oh, so is good. it good? I rewatch that scene every night before I go to bed. <laughs> every night. Every night. Oh, this is it Dakin Matthews I think it's the guy who's of course Dakin oh. Matthews yeah the rude headmaster from Gilman. and he takes a second to think it over and then he, he goes to pull the cord. he does love to pull the cord
3: okay the other thing is the piano accompaniment to them all being like kind of witty and having repartee do you know mm. what I'm talking it's, about it's my favorite scene in the movie Ben it's so fantastic and I just I feel like that form of like entertainment sure like i want to do that at my next christmas party pay a piano player mm. to just accompany me being witty and cool hmm. do you have a
2: grand sitting room in your home <laughs> i mean ben's got a very nice living
1: yes it's just it's for a new york room. city he yes. has a proper living room. it's a little less grand than hearst's
3: yeah i don't think i could I could get You a live on full the second floor.
1: Piano? Right. It'd yes. Be, yeah. You don't have a fireplace that like you could stack two people under. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are like no, 38 no. people in that room. It's really something. I yeah. mean, I love the idea of being so rich and powerful that when I throw a party, I have to specify who I want sat near me this time. Yes. (laughs) Because I'm like, look, I'm not going to talk to everyone. Like, you know, there's too many people coming to this thing. So can
0: I get some mank this time? Can you give me mank like table, you know, table D? Isn't the line that his estate is half the size of Rhode Island? That's pretty good. That might have been an RKO. I watched them both on the same night, so they're mushing <laughs> together in my brain. Jesus. Who else is an RKO to anyone? Uh Melanie Griffith plays Davies. Yeah. Sure. I'm always fascinated in like alternate castings of fixed figures where you're like, right. who are different actors? Apparently Roger Allen plays Walt Disney. Sure, small part. Oh, Scheider's yeah. in this? Scheider's in it? Yeah, Scheider plays a fucking. He's uh, the RKO. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Is he good?
1: Yeah, yeah he's did, good does he grumble at all kind of have a low what voice what are you talking about how dare you do that this,
2: this is a stacked cast
1: Liam Cunningham Onion, Onion Knight is Greg Toland Onion Knight is yeah. t- Greg Toland do you see Onion Knight like I know you haven't watched Game of Thrones but he played a character on Game of Thrones called the Onion Knight His character's name is the Onion Knight? he's awesome he's my favorite character on the show he's- he is also my favorite. Him is and he really are my favorite great. Game of Thrones characters. So
0: Did yeah. they call him that because he cries every time he slices something? That
1: would be great, but no, it's because he famously smuggled a bag of onions into a castle once when they were being uh, under siege and they were really hungry. That's what so kind of he's cool. called, the Onion Knight guy. Okay. Yeah. He's like kind like, uh, of like a real salt-of-the-earth guy.
0: He plays Man-at-Arms in the Motu cartoon. Okay. Represents...
1: Yep. He's got a great... I mean, Liam Cunningham's an amazing he actor. Really I wish great. he was in Mank, honestly. Yeah, roll. should throw him in.
0: Yeah. He
1: should just walk in. But we don't get to see any of Citizen Kane being made, obviously. No. Like, I think maybe that's partly why people are also grumpy, where they're like, "You cannot discount mm-hmm. the revolution in cinema that was Citizen Kane, which has nothing to do with its story." Yes. Like, obviously, the story is very crucial, and the way it's presented in these like flashbacks, you know, and the 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 structure of the plot is sort of unusual for the like. Yes, that's important, but no one's talking about digging holes in the floor no. or deep no, focus Greg Tolan, or no. yeah, you know. Any of that fun stuff. Um, but that's obviously not what this movie's about at all. This movie's no. about like one man's like last creed occur against like, you know, the the system he lives.
0: Is there other shit we need to hit before yes, we talk before we're done? Oscars and the non box uh, office game? The montage is
3: just weird to me. And I Which feel montage? like the montage I wrote down the election montage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he's getting, it's getting just, hammered, it's, the it's party. very it's very jarring. Kinda. Well, it's when he's really like
1: spiraling. Yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah, because it's like not just that his side is losing. Obviously, he's sad about that, but it's like the the sort of nasty garishness of this party, and like you know the way everyone is dressed, and like he's kind of like the world is ending, and they're just all like, "Thank God we didn't let that fucker in." Mm-hmm. Like, it's so crazy to imagine an election in California where like a million people voted. Like California is still this kind of like podunk state back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels very reminiscent. So
2: almost self consciously reminiscent of the last, the last weekend, you know, the Ray Moland movie hmm. or the Billy Wilder movie where he's just getting mm-hmm. increasingly drunk and the way that that movie shot and the way that it like represents his point of view slipping into confusion because he's so hammered. And the same is right. true there, but at the stakes are weirdly much higher in Mank because it's about the election.
1: But, but yeah, but you know what? There aren't enough movies these days about guys who get hammered drunk. No. And that is hammered. what Mank is about. Yeah, you know, like leaving Las Vegas came out. I remember when I was twenty five years now. I was like, "What's that about?" My mom is like, "It's about a guy who just gets
0: really drunk." Yeah, and I was like, "What do you mean?" And then she was like, "That's kind of it, man.
3: That's
0: that's the vibe of that movie." What happens the next morning when he wakes up? Kind of does it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Like we don't have you know now. It's you know lots of movies about all kinds of but like we don't have
0: old fashioned drunks in movies enough anymore. Yeah. Well, David, I direct your attention over a little Hangover trilogy. (laughs) That really shows you the lackey things. Those guys can't handle their liquor.
1: <laughs> I, these guys. I need somewhere where it's like he's had a fifth of the vodka yeah. before eight a.m. I guess right. the Wayback was a good version drugs. of that. Oh, Wayback is
0: so good because the Wayback good. had
1: the what I love in these kinds of movies is the, like yeah. the business of him getting drunk. Yes, the the fucking thing in the freezer, the shower beer, the shower beer, like where it's like yeah, this guy has to work at being this buzz. It's he's a professional drunk, right? Yeah, you like the Wayback, Shirley, Sean.
2: Uh yeah, speaking of COVID films, right? That was released like right yeah. at lockdown. It's like the it was second that final to last movie weekend. I saw before COVID. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's excellent and also like way too traditional to have made sense in twenty twenty to anybody.
0: Probably yeah.
1: it's like, yeah. it's like a nineteen eighty seven
2: Robert Duvall movie that somehow yeah. came out in twenty twenty.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that movie rolls. That was the second to last screening I went to and the last was The Hunt.
0: Right. Which I saw like two days before Lock, right? That, that like movie. that last weekend Me at the too. box office is like The Hunt and Way Back and Onward, Onwards onward. in there for yeah. sure, yeah. and Invisible Man. Those Under were like branded. the last four movies. Yep. So Emma, weird. oh Emma, good movie, yeah, fun, yeah. Josh O'Connor, and Birds of Prey too, right? Birds of Prey, Birds of Prey was had, so had like hanging a proper around. month, Ray Ray. as did Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the movies that got like less than three weeks in theaters. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: yes. Is there anything else we need to hit about Mank, Sean? Mm, I guess I'm
2: curious how you guys think it will be. It I feel like it's kind of remembered as like a blunder on Fincher's
1: part. It will be seen as a blunder, I think, for a very long time. I do not think its rep is going to get saved anytime soon because it's sitting there on Netflix gathering dust. Sure. And Fincher has already pivoted into, back to sort of his more traditional genre and probably yeah. will sort of stay there. So it'll feel increasingly glaring. Like, remember when he
0: made Mank? What the hell was that? I will say in in talking to people since we've announced this series, people who have been listening along and have been like throwing their fincher takes at me. Um, the thing the sentiment I hear more is not, oh, Mank's a blunder. It's the sort of like quiet tones, am I allowed to say that I think mank is boring? I don't think people view it as like a a blunder as much as they're just like, that movie did nothing for me. Sure. You know, and some of that might be the, like, 2020 memory hole. Think- a couple people have, like, raised their hands and said, like, I think this is, like, important Rosetta Stone of, like, how Finch reviews himself. Sure. And his statement on the film industry and all that sort of shit. But I think more people are like, am I wrong in thinking that's boring? Where even if the the majority p- opinion on this movie still kind of thinks they're the minority. It's probably because it got all the Oscar noms. So yes. people are like, oh, well then that movie was beloved. It's supposed I don't to be taken so. seriously. Yeah, yeah. Right. So
1: let's play the box office game for Mank, unless there's anything else we want to say. I do the
0: Oscars quickly. All right. It gets basically every major nomination, and the only thing it wins is cinematography. And uh, production design. Okay.
1: Uh, that is correct. It loses everything else. Uh, and I think the Seyfried
0: nom is probably the closest it came to another win. You called on Mike that you thought she was going to win at some point in Just that because, cursed year. I mean, yeah. It's all my fault.
1: No, it's not uh, my fault. No, it's all my fault. I didn't say you cursed her. <laughs> I, I know, said the I year know. was cursed. Uh obviously uh Yu Young Jung wins for Minari, and that's a good performance mm-hmm. and such an interesting win. Mm-hmm. But Seyfried is definitely the only of those five where you're like, yeah, that's kind of like a performance Oscars usually
0: respond to. Yes. And Glenn Close was nominated that year for Hillbilly Elegy. Right. No, she was, in fact, nominated for Hillbilly Elegy.
2: Well, just it seemed like it was the only way to kind of recognize Minari at, in that, yes, you know. Exactly. And, and yes, exactly. There were other ways to recognize Mank. Although it's super, super funny that everyone hated the cinematography of this movie and it won Best Cinematography. That's really funny. really funny. It's
0: embarrassing cinematography. With, uh, where you just feel like, were you paying attention outside of it being in black and white? I don't think this movie looks bad, but as you said, there's like, you know, there's... Kind of, well... The nominees were Judas and Black Messiah, Sean Bobbitt. I remember that looking pretty good.
1: And Bobbitt's a great DP. Sean Bobbitt, that's like McQueen's Uh guy, right? It is, yeah. and it was his first, I believe it was his first nom. Like, it was, like, a like, late nom. Mm-hmm. Darius Walski for News of the World, which is, like, a
0: cool-looking movie. Looks but really good. Like, yep. You know, Most no, people really don't get to see it on
1: the big right. screen. Right. Uh, Joshua James Richards
0: for That's No That's the Mad one. Land. I don't understand how that movie wins picture and director, and you don't give it because cinematography. Because Oscar voters are lazy, and
1: they think the small movies should win those things, and the, you know, higher production value movies should win the other things. That movie's,
0: like, 70% cinematography. I agree. I agree.
1: 99%. I agree. Yeah. It's 99% cinematography, 1% Fran. mean mug of Francis. Yeah. Fern. If she mean mugs, you're getting an Oscar now. Know what I mean, Fern? <laughs> um, Yeah, so it won two Oscars. It never really felt in contention, though. No. Like, it was the classic Good Shepherd thing. Yes, it got the noms, and mm-hmm. Good Shepherd didn't. But that thing where, like, a year out, people were a little bit like, well, could Mank, you know, a movie about movies? Yes. Like, you know... And then it, it gets some, you know, cursory attention. But it felt like all these Netflix movies, like Irishman and uh, Roma, mm-hmm. uh, where you're like, they somehow biffed their way into third place here. Like, I don't <laughs> know how. Yeah. Like, they kind of had front status and they had unlimited FYC funds. And yet, you know, everyone got sick of it. And Irishman's a masterpiece. And yeah. I think this is good and Roma's pretty good. Yeah. Like I'm not saying every movie is the right. Like they they sort of got tons of noms and mostly ignored.
0: <laughs> no, it remains. Roma won a big Oscar. It remains absurd that Apple won Best Picture before Netflix did, and Netflix kept only getting to Best Director and then whiffing on the final one. Uh, the Coda win is one of the it's wild weirdest Oscar biffs. Ever. Can I can, yeah. can
2: I share with you guys? um uh, well, I'll, I want to ask a question, but by way of asking the question, I'll share a very brief sure. anecdote. My big hobby horse Thanks. for a couple of years now with the academy, especially in best picture, is I want to do the countdown. I want to know what came in tenth place.
1: So, y- what came you've in ninth place? You pitched this on your yes, show. Yes, so I pitched this many yeah. times that over the course of the show. Yeah, they will be like, and now it is time to announce. Mank is out of the race and yeah. there's nine left, yes. you know, that you do it like that. Now, there's no way they would ever do it because they hate to be garrison. Right. Yeah. Like, yes. But I but would, would love it. We would love it because we want to know how things right. rank. I, right? I want
2: the data. I want to know how I they make I want manked. there to be a countdown yeah. feeling, you know, yep. it, I, all the reasons why I think that would be great for the telecast and just fun for for geeks like us. I, mm-hmm. I, f- I actually got to pitch this idea to somebody at the Academy recently, and I was like, "You, I know you'll never do it, but just think about it. Just tell me you had a meeting in a room about this idea, especially when I know Sean, that the ABC deal is coming up in a few years, and you guys got to well, make – you know, you really got to make a case for why you deserve a lot of money to put this show on TV.
1: They No, they don't. They should fucking tell ABC to go jump in a lake, take the thing to streaming. They, but they anyway. probably will do that, but nevertheless yes. – um, but the reason I, I, asked, I like the idea of them being like, "We will not have a meeting in a room. We'll walk and talk, maybe
2: outside."
0: <laughs> what was their response? Yeah, what did when they you say? asked? Well, them. the
1: person that I was talking to, I
2: think, was titillated by the concept, but also mm. knew that it was impossible because you could never be sure. like, "Here is the margin yeah, between yeah. this victory and that victory."
1: Right. You can't have losers exactly. at the Oscars; exactly. only
2: winners. Um, right. Yes. But my question is, what do you think was running in second place this year in Best Picture behind Nomadland? <sighs>
1: Um, I think at the end of the day, Promising Promising Young young Woman woman was probably running second place. Really? It is crazy. I 100% agree with that. Obviously, it's a weird year. Yeah. You know, like, that's undeniable. Yeah. And I think Nomadland kind of
0: ran away with Mm -hmm. it. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I do think Promising Young Woman had a little bit of juice. Nomadland might have had a higher percentage of the vote (laughs) than any other Best Picture winner in the last 20 years. Wow, And I also think... To go back to our original topic of discussion, I would argue for better and worse, even if some of it is like still strongly maintained negative opinions, Promising Young Woman has the longest tail culturally of all of those movies. I think it's the only one that still kind of feels a little in the convo. David's pouting. Am I wrong? You might be right. I think I'm right. I don't like that movie. But I think the people who dislike that movie are still holding on to it in a way that the anti-nomad Latin people have kind of just forgotten and moved on.
1: That movie dared have Amazon in it. God damn it. I don't even want to rekindle that. Was that, aw- that, that was man, the man. dumbest no, shit. Imagine. Kindle it? That was
2: so You want to rekindle
0: stupid. it, Amazon? It was a little... are the best places to kindle. Yeah, you're right. You're Can right. I throw one final crazy stat up before we, we move on from this? I threw my Kindle out. Yeah, I got, it's I got an NDE runner. It's fucking I was bad. Like, I remember when I just... bought an Amazon Fire tablet and it yes, was like made was out of
3: shit? Low point for you.
0: It sucked. They're a fucking horrible company. Just read on my iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Great company. Has never done anything wrong. <laughs> a crazier stat than the fact that Netflix has never won Best Picture, which I feel like we all think about and know, right? Yeah, sure. Is that basically every other streaming company won a series award before Netflix. Uh
1: Right, because Hulu um won Emmys before Netflix. And Amazon
0: won for Maisel. Right. And Apple won for Yep. The year that Netflix finally wins a series Emmy mm. is whatever season three or four of The Crown, which is the same year that Ted Lasso wins for the first time. Uh, so Apple tied them. That charming motherfucker, Ted Lasso. He taught us to believe. Um...
1: Is there an argument that The Father was the number two because it won two major Oscars? Possibly. One actor and screenplay? But it didn't get the director nomination for Olfanel did. Well, that's
0: true. Yeah, that's true. Did you
1: guys see Salpern yet?
0: No, have I haven't
2: you? seen it yet. Yeah, I've seen it. I'd like, to, I'd like to discuss Promising Young Woman after you guys have seen Salpern.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Salt Burn yet. I guess I'm excited. Um, but part of my argument for why that movie has at least lingered a little is it is really selling it on from the director of Promising Young Woman. It's true. In a way that kind of is a conversation point. Uh, from Midge. It's from Midge. From Midge. From acclaimed filmmaker Midge. Academy Award winner Midge. Mank came out. We're doing the box office yeah. game.
1: Uh, on November 13th, 2020. Okay, there was a film released in theaters by a major studio that's opening at number one—a horror film.
0: Is it The Empty Man?
1: No, The Empty Man came out in like the summer. I thought right. it was October. Was it not October of 2020? Uh, uh November 13th, 2020, is what I'm seeing mm. here. Okay, where are you getting October from, Sean? You was mean, it Halloween? And... I, no, I mean I'm in October what? for the, the Empty Man. Oh, oh yeah, I know. I'm. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm not sure about Empty Man. I, I can check Empty Man. I, you're, I know you're Empty Man Hive, though, yeah, I right? Am for sure, like for me? sure, hundred yes. percent.
2: So, okay. a horror movie from November of 2020.
1: Correct. Was it
2: freaky. Freaky. Ooh, oh, good. Okay. Nice poll.
0: Not a bad movie. No, a good movie. Opening to three million dollars. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Blum cites that as his like
1: fucking Waterloo. You're right. Empty Man came out October 23. Mm. You're you're totally right, Sean. Uh, I guess nothing was coming out in the summer. It was no. Still, like, yeah. You guys should do Christopher Landon series. He's got to do like one more, yeah, to be interesting to me. He's pretty good. He's done a couple of good ones. He's his d-
2: last one I didn't like that much on Netflix actually, but his Blum stuff is good. Oh, the one? weird
1: ghost. Yeah. One? We have a ghost. I didn't even see yeah, that. I, mean, I
2: really yeah. didn't like it, but I really like Freaky and Happy Death Day. Stuff. That
1: looked like some
0: real Robinson Robin shit. I yeah. want him to get to do Death Day three. Me too. Happy Death Day three. Yeah, yeah. yeah I want that. Would watch. Uh, what's his next film does he have something lined up he does okay
2: i think it is it a legacy thing
0: i think so kind of i I remember there being some announcements christopher landon
1: uh his next movie oh of course is scream seven right right right, he got the scream
0: seven right right right
1: okay number two at the box office it's an adult drama Hmm. Uh with a big movie star. Is it the Costner one? Yes. With <sighs> Diane Lane. What's I it always called? get this title wrong. Oh, I liked this movie. It's from the I believe it's from the guy who made The um, Family Stone guy. The Family Stone, Thomas Becusa. It's not called <sighs> Let Let Me Go. Bezucha. It's called Let Him. Let go. Him Go. You saw that, Sean? You liked
2: that? Yeah, I really liked it. A friend of mine produced it. Um but it's a i I still am like, is this movie about like did it presage i don't i don't I, a movement in america like i don't I, I'm not totally sure what that movie is about is it is it about what happened to America <laughs> like what how we became this like tribalistic angry sure.
0: group of people? Or is is it just playing America in that movie? Yeah, he plays, uh, kind um, kind of. Yeah.
1: Dot S of A, uh-huh. this is character Ulysses. <laughs> Ulysses S of America. Stevens America. <laughs> it's kind um, of him doing a sure. Liam Neeson thing, but with a lot right. of prestige around it. You mm-hmm. know, where right. he's like, Less I guess trashy. I got to go shoot a bunch of guys to get my grandson. Right. Yes. Yes. Number three at the box office is another film about what happened to us as Americans. What happened to this country? There
0: was a war on Grandpa? There was a war
1: with Grandpa. (laughs) Uh, Robert De Niro, Uma Thurman. One of those movies that was shot in, like, you know, 1992 or whatever, right? Yes. It starts on
0: Colin Calkin as the kid. Yeah,
1: everyone was kind of like, ooh, De Niro's eating in this. And it's like, bro, this was made during the fucking, like, Bush administration.
0: (laughs) Anyone writing a review... (laughs) <laughs> on that movie saying De Niro's eating on this is really illustrating how bad the collective psyche was <laughs>
1: to be clear I
2: don't during,
0: think during the pandemic did number you four, see it? did no, you, no. you see it? did you? no,
2: I didn't no. See it. no I
0: do you know it. who else is in that movie? Harvey Keitel cool reunion yeah does De
1: Niro shoot up his his pimp uh, his house correct <laughs> uh, number four a horror film from Focus Features okay. with one of the most unfortunate titles in the history of modern movies. It's like a spooky kid movie, I think.
0: It's a spooky kid movie. From it's Focus. got one of the worst titles. God, is the title bad enough that I will remember this? I assume the movie has no lasting legacy, not right? That
1: I, I, you know, look, it made thirteen mil on a budget of nine in twenty twenty. It's not bad.
0: I have no idea. It stars a person you've told me has listened to our show. It stars a person I told you has listened to you our
1: recently show. told me that she has she told you she likes the show. Whether or not she was being nice, we don't know.
0: Uh fuck. Uh what what is what is the title of this movie? Film stars Gillian Jacobs. Gillian? Gillian. Yes. Right? I fucked it up on the episode I was on with her. It's called Come Play. <laughs> now, here's the thing. <laughs> I have only read that title. I've never heard it said out loud. It never struck me wrong reading it. It's called Come Play. Well, now I hear it. Come Play. Come Play
1: starring uh, now Gillian I Jacobs un- and John it. Gallagher Jr. Two
0: wonderful actors.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen it. I have no idea uh, how it's regarded. Did you see this film, Sean? I know you love a horror uh, I do. I'm you know, looking, yeah, film. no, I haven't seen it. I'm looking at
2: Wikipedia and it says the original title of the film was Dick Cheese, which is surprising. That's so but weird. They made a change.
0: And I'm seeing here in France it was released under the title Sticky Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I know it was the pandemic guys, but
1: did no one sit down and say it aloud? This is truly the answer. No, (laughs) no one said it aloud. This title was approved solely via email. (laughs) Number five at the box office is, or is it the good people at Focus Features are like, America is not that crass. Sure. They will say that title. Right. Uh, Number five is an actioner from Open Road, the great people at Open Road, starring a slightly grizzled older actor. Is
3: it
0: about a marksman? (laughs) Yeah. Or is it an honest thief? It's an honest thief.
2: <laughs> it's an honest thief. Man, I've seen the marksman, have not seen an honest thief. Which, I haven't seen an honest, honest thief. What's honest
1: thief about? Uh, it's Lee Neeson, obviously. Uh, let's see. A, a brooding former bank robber hmm. turns himself into the MB, FBI and then is set up by corrupt agents. The problem is that I want all of these to be good. Robert Patrick's in it. Hey. Do you think Robert Patrick looking, uh, looking young and vigorous in that one? I think he's aged into a really good look. He looks like a tree. <laughs> um, so, uh, honest, Thief. Uh, Sean, honest I th- think you were. I think you were with me that the last Nissan movie. I already forgot what it's called. Retribution. Uh, actually I actually haven't seen that one. That's okay.
0: your worst movie of the year, right? It's so bad. Yeah, I really need him to stop. I'm. I'm worried about him. I will say, Blacklight was the worst movie I saw in in 2022. Oof, okay. So yeah, uh, but I think Memory is halfway decent. I saw Memories, him the in um, yeah.
2: the new Ethan Hawke, Flannery O'Connor movie. Yeah, uh, sure. Recently. Sure. And yes. he's in it for like three minutes, but he is uh-huh. incredible. In he's it. a great actor. As, a, as an Irish priest, which of course yeah. is a role he is born to play. But I, I mean, was like, man, I forgot. Uh, Liam Neeson, holy moly. It's one of the It's frustrating
0: greats. how easily he can turn it on. So it's when crazy. he's phoning it in, you're like, this is
1: purely a choice. Um, the rest of the box office. Tenet. mm um, week, what, what? week what? Week 11, it's made 53 mil, I which mean, compared to the rest of the box yeah. office is obviously quite strong. It's huge. Then, and then it's hilarious because it's like Guardians of the Galaxy, Toy Story. Yeah. The New Mutants. Remember that? Yep. Whoa. Remember when Disney was like, can we not release this? And then the pandemic happened and they were like, oh, why don't we just
0: release yeah. this right
1: now? Yes.
0: And oh, 20,000 screens. <laughs> the only movie playing in America. And they were like, we did put it out. We told you we would.
1: Uh, the Empty Man mm-hmm. is up there. Uh, the 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 movie Ammonite, remember that one? Oh yeah, not very good. No, that really sunk. Yeah, it did.
2: That one sunk like a stone. That was yeah. that was a real. This is a that was a true. This that Oscar buzz situation that really yep. yes. did not fly. Shout but out was, to was,
1: yeah, and just those movies where it's like you don't know. The most famous gay Victorian fossil collector in Northern England. Yeah, like this is her
0: story, and I'm like, "What's her story?" And they're like,
1: "I mean, she was pretty grumpy. She sat on the beach a lot. <laughs> you know, dug <laughs> up a lot of
0: fucking fossils." Do you know how unexciting that movie is? <laughs> it has a gay sex scene between Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan, and, and I you have did not seen it. it, right? Yes, yeah.
1: yes, yeah. Uh, Ammonite. Yeah. yeah, I did. I think I saw it, and I was just like, "Get out of here." Um, but, it's so boring. It is. It's remarkably boring. Boring.
0: boring. What's wild is that they put that pull quote on the poster. Get out of here, Get says David here. Sims of the Atlantic. Oh, the best we could find. <laughs> Look, at least he felt something. He told us to leave.
1: All right. Okay. we got to be done, Sean. We've kept you
0: for far too long. My God, it's been a long day for us. Yeah.
2: Thank uh you. I appreciate. Uh, it. I like. I like being on the back half of a two pod day. Oh, you I'm like often us, Loopy? Mm. Yeah like usually I get Chris Ryan Usually on the back half Of a two pod day I'm always yeah. number two And
0: there's something Chris, Just a
2: little sexy about it Something a little unusual Something a little goofy It's good
0: Chris Chris at his punchiest Is Chris at his best I Yeah, think. yeah that's um, a Good question Well, we'll, we'll our appearance doing a a draft on Big Picture will come out before this episode comes out. Yeah, this episode's coming out
1: mid-November. I think that's coming out late October, right? So that has
0: not been recorded yet. We're recording it next week. But I just want you to know, Sean, as sort of a backwards advertisement for that episode that Mm. will be out at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earlier this morning, Sims and I were fully yelling at each other. (laughs) Well, about
3: it uh, and and me and Marie as well <laughs> all four of us were yell- truly no, yelling, truly no, yelling at the top of our lungs no were yelling at us strategizing <laughs> yes. because
0: we kept being like well did you think of this movie and then? Like, you of course, two we would thought be... of that movie. Of course, right. it's on the
3: list. Right,
0: yeah. and I don't want them suggesting titles that I think David might not have thought of or whatever. I'm just getting this very. Is up about this is the
2: magic of the draft. I feel wow. like Louis B. Mayer walking through the yes. lot with yes. you both side by side. Let I'm gonna teach you how we. I am gonna
1: be going into that, being like, "I this is no big deal. I am just here to have fun," and then yeah. like. One second in, someone will take a movie I want and I'm just going to melt
0: down. Yeah. Everyone's going to be
2: really nice at the beginning of the recording. Mm, it's going to be very polite and then it's going to get it, there. People want to Then slash The knives the will be out. Yeah. Yes.
0: I also just, I, I told you this, Sean, right before we started recording, but like the last couple of months, I've been going so hard on Big Picture and it's moved up to like top of my podcast rotation. And now this has the pressure of like, I play Jeopardy at home. And when <laughs> I got, if I was there at the podium, I would kill this. It's not about being good at drafting. It's just about hurting thing. other people. That's, that's the thing but
1: with your drafts. that's what I'm thinking about. The that's thing with I'm your drafts about. is the victor barely seems to matter. You never even announced that on the show.
0: But that's this true. is why I was angry at Ben and Marie citing titles. Because I'm like, I need to defeat David. We can't be sharing notes. But are you sure you don't want to team
2: up against us no. no. and me? No. Because you know no. that me and Amanda and Chris, will we will not support each other.
1: Like, we will oh, not like, team like, should up. We, should we, like have a soft alliance Ugh. of kind of like, let's let these guys devour each Fuck. other. This is interesting. It can be done. Okay.
0: Well, it has been done in the past. Retroactive plug for that episode, uh, which people can listen to and see how it turned out. And and Big Picture in general, which is one of my absolute and favorite the Ringer, things to listen the, to. The, the,
1: many, the many podcasts and and uh, articles of com.
2: Thanks, guys. Let me just say, like you know I love your show. I've told you many times before. It's very nice. Um, very kind, man. And, um... I had been waiting a very long time for Fincher, so I really was very honored to be asked. And you know, oh. I think this is like I such hope a you were happy with Mank. Well, yeah, I feel like you I, know, David's you and I on Mank Island. You know, we've got I our umbrella out. You know, we're we're drinking a Corona and uh, thinking of Mank
0: and Griffin. You almost got there. I'm, I'm circling the island. I'm in a I'm in a little rowboat doing laps.
1: <laughs> you're shouting to us.
0: <laughs> you guys need anything? Yeah. <laughs> You guys are sipping coconuts, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Thank you for being here, Sean. Uh, And thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, helping to produce the show, and yelling out legal titles that I didn't want David thinking about in our draft prep. Uh, thank you to Leigh Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song Joe Bowen Pat Reynolds for our artwork AJ McKeon and Alex Barron for our editing JJ Birch for our research you can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit including blankcheck special features where we do commentaries on film series we're doing the Bros and Bonds now we recorded one of them earlier today they are loopy yeah, if that's what you loopy. like out of us yeah, Enjoy. you'll get a lot of that shit mm-hmm uh, tune in next week for the the last episode in our Fincher series, The Killer. Yes, his second and hopefully final film for Netflix.
1: The only David Fincher film I've never seen.
0: Same. I'll see it soon. Yeah. What if we don't? What if we show up to the episode and we're like, you know what? I skipped, skipped it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Here's our <laughs> rankings Couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Not uh, really our style. Ben is throwing away food waste. Bye bye. Bye bye. And as always, thank you next. <laughs>